This episode is full of spoilers and contains some not-so-super language. Citizens, welcome to the Fortress of Potitude. I'm Dave Michaels. I'm Brian Betts. And we are the Cape Podcasters. And this is the show that for 150 episodes has been taking asses and kicking names. That's right. We've been moving so slowly you haven't even seen us get to 150. It's been just imperceptible. We're borderline invisible because of how slowly we're moving. You can't even see us eating these Zark nuts. <laughs> forgot they're called zark nuts <laughs> how do you say any of like that space mumbo jumbo with a straight face i don't know I, f- I like lots of takes you think that's what it was you think it's just him saying like no nah, i said a bunch of bullshit on parks and rec i could say anything this is fine <laughs> oh no i think chris pratt probably is fine i think it's dave batista probably cracks up all the time doing these lines do you think he has a good sense of humor? I can't tell with that guy. It's hard to tell in interviews and stuff. He seems very much like Drax, actually. He does, but then like there are some things where he comes down to Earth and he's like, man, I don't want to play Drax forever. It is so hard keeping this old body in shape. I cannot keep doing this. Yeah, that's understandable. It's a mountain of a man. Zark nuts. That one's free. <laughs> Happy 150, Brian. Happy 150. Even though it's a hell of a lot more if you go on Patreon and talk about all the other TV stuff we do here. Oh, it's a hell yeah. of a lot more, but officially numbered 150. 150 numbered episodes. And I love how the 150th episode lined up perfectly for our journey through the MCU because we do them in release order. This is true. So today we are talking about 2018's Avengers Infinity War. Directed by Anthony Russo and Joe Russo, who from here on out, we should just call the Russo brothers. Of Arrested Development and Community fame. And you, me, and Dupree. That's the one everyone always mentions in there for It reasons. is. They're like, <laughs> yeah. The, the, oh, the Russo brothers? The guys who did you, me, and Dupree? Those. Let's give them a really, really, really expensive movie to do. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, they had pretty much proven themselves with Winter Soldier and Civil War. I would say that they have. We'll get there. I mean, what else were they going to do? Give it to Joss Whedon? No, oh, boy, no. Were, were the weird things out about him yet? Or are they starting to trickle out? Or was it still just a Hollywood secret? It was probably just a Hollywood secret still back then. But, I mean, everybody on set knew. That's fair. And I'm glad he didn't have anything to do with this. Because this is probably my favorite Marvel movie. I always rank it at the top of my list. So, If it's at the top of your list, what's around it? Well, it's funny you ask that because I actually have my entire list right here. Oh, good. Why don't you read the whole entire thing? Don't do that. Give me top that would three. Be, that would be very silly. <laughs> uh, the last time I went through and did this, it became to Infinity War, Ragnarok, and Homecoming as my top three. Homecoming's an interesting one in there. Yeah. All right. Love me some Spidey. I think that this probably is my one. Okay. When it's all said and done. What rounds out your three then? Doctor Strange. I knew that. And whichever Guardians of the Galaxy I've seen most recently. That's the right answer when it comes to the Guardians. They're both so damn good. They're both very so damn good. fun. And it is, it's true. Whichever one you've seen most recently is the better of the two. So this movie is 149 minutes long, and a lot 
happens. There, yeah, it's uh, chock full, like that coffee brand. Chock full chock of nuts. Chock full of Zark nuts. It's that heavenly uh, outer galaxy coffee. <laughs> Do you think there's like a coffee planet it's, out there? That's <laughs> their actual slogan. It's this coffee's out of this world. Oh my goodness. Uh, let's just get into this thing before you go any farther. I actually pitch. think I saved it a little bit there at the end. Do you think so? <laughs> Barely. Oh, boy. Let's get into it. We get that Marvel Studios logo. No Michael Giacchino intro. Yeah, it's weird whenever he doesn't pop up. You're like, oh, it's quiet. This is going to be dark. Because instead, we're getting an Asgardian distress signal from Kenneth Branagh. That's kind of wild. Isn't it? The director of Thor showed up in Infinity War to be like, Help us. These are words at the beginning of the movie that you're not listening to. <laughs> it's like, we're still just getting over the non-Michael Giacchino. <laughs> this is so weird. Giacchino, whatever no, we're calling him today. We're getting over the music not being there, but also how we learned to pronounce his name. Are we getting over that? Because No, we're not. I think it's interchangeable until we really just get comfortable with it. <laughs> we're gonna keep slipping back into Giacchino because damn the man and his name how dare he correct us his first name is michael his middle name is fucking his last name is tbd until we figure it out he has it spelled phonetically on his twitter as ja no which is where we started correcting ourselves eventually but it's not important for this movie because he's not in it that's true we hop aboard the big old ship bringing the asgardians away from the ruins of asgard from the end of Ragnarok, we join Thor, Chris fucking Hemsworth, as we're all aware, and Loki, Tom fucking Hiddleston. And they're looking pretty worse for the wear. They're not looking good at all, man. And they look pretty terrible. Ebony Ma, played by Tom Von Lawler. Throw fucking scattered about within that name. They're Just in scatter there. scatter him, because he's killing it. He's the member of the Black Order that talks all the time, so if any of them were going to kill it, I hope it's him. He doesn't stop talking and doesn't stop killing it. <laughs> he is one of the children of Thanos, and he's giving his little speech about, you know, congratulations, you're about to die. But, you know, it's a good thing because it's Thanos killing you. Oh, yay! Oh, yes, this is my favorite day ever. He's immediately followed up by Thanos. Josh fucking Brolin. Yeah, that's a light fucking that you gave it, I feel like. I feel like you needed to put more emphasis <sighs> on it. Because obviously it's tricky to do. It's uh, it's J fucking O fucking S fucking H. Nailed it. <laughs> B fucking R fucking O fucking L fucking I fucking N. And even that bite me too light. It might be. Because he is just absolutely sending it here. He is. He completely owns the screen every single time he's on it. Every time. And this really is his movie. Oh, 100%. This is a Thanos movie. He pops up after Ebony Maw finishes his speech and he's like, yeah, I'm just going to say the same stuff I said in the trailer for the movie. And you're still going to be like, oh, this is fucking great. <laughs> <laughs> he tells Loki, the Tesseract for your brother's life. And Loki is like, mm, we have a Hulk. Well, the good news is that he wasn't just saying that because they got a Hulk and they he dives it off screen. He tackles him and you're like, hell yes, it's on saving the day already. Hulk and Thanos fight one-on-one -on -one for about 15 seconds, and then Thanos just knocks the shit out of him without even using the Power Stone. What I find amazing is the way that Thanos moves. Because we've all seen the Hulk fight, and the Hulk is just a big old bruiser. He just wants right. to smash. Just smashing all over them. But Thanos can move. 
He's he's doing the uh, the fundamentals, you know. I feel like Paul Giamatti, Cinderella man. If he had Thanos in his corner, <laughs> oh, Thanos, you gotta listen to you. Pop, pop, bang. <laughs> pop, pop, bang. The only thing missing from this movie was Paul Giamatti. <laughs> he's in the Spider Verse, kind of. He could have popped up. It's true, but yeah, uh, Thanos already has the Power Stone. We should probably mention that he's he's got the gauntlet. He's got one purple stone on it. Just. Hey, fresh off destroying Xandar, here he is. He beats up the Hulk, which is not what you want to see, especially in hand-to-hand combat against the strongest Avenger. Well, he just picks him up and he body slams him. Yeah, he picks up the Hulk. And I like how, as the audience, you're like, oh, no. Oh, this guy's strong. (laughs) This is going to go downhill, I think. I thought this was going to be a fun time. Oh, no. Heimdall, who's also there, played by Idris Elba. Idris fucking Elba, sorry. He uses... Some black magic to to send Hulk to Earth via the last of the Bifrost that he can summon, since, you know, Asgard's gone. And Thanos is like, mm, shouldn't have done that, and he kills him. And Thor's like, ooh, shouldn't have done that, I'm gonna kill you for it. It's a whole lot of, you shouldn't have done that, I'm going to kill you. Yeah. It's like the weirdest version of pay it forward. <laughs> it's like, I kill two friends and then they kill two friends. Wait, I don't think that works. Is that how it's done? Am I doing it wrong? I think you threatened to kill two friends? I don't know. So if I don't forward this email to my five closest friends, then who's going to kill me? I just want to figure this all out. I think it's the guy from Scream. He keeps just showing up every few years, right? Because <laughs> why the not? The email's coming from inside the house. <laughs> That's what we always needed is another Scream movie. <laughs> Thanks, Hollywood. That would be the absolute worst. It's just here like... <laughs> Just texting in the closet. Well, have you seen the trailer for the new Scream movie? There's a new Scream movie? Yeah, it's called Scream. <laughs> they didn't even give it like a subtitle or a number or anything. But like the trailer is like this girl's in her house and she gets a call from inside the house. Ah, and but she's got a smartphone app for her locks and it just keeps unlocking from her phone. It looks really dumb. So they basically just said like, hey, ring, if anyone ever gets a hold of your algorithm... They're going to start killing people <laughs> via smartphone. Uh, it's evil Google Home. Oh! <laughs> but also a guy in the mask with the, you know, the what's up face. That's the perfect way to describe that mask <laughs> all the time. <laughs> Scary movie, right? Yeah. <laughs> so Thanos gets the Tesseract from Loki. He smashes it in his hand. He pulls the space stone out of it and he puts it in the infinity gauntlet and he's like, all right. Got what I came here for. And Loki's like, hey, if you're going down to Earth, you should have somebody guide you. I've been to Earth. I have experience. He's pretending he's going to serve Thanos, but, you know, he's a trickster god. He's up to his usual trickster shenanigans. He tries to pull a blade on the guy that just body slammed the Hulk. Yeah, it's a bad idea. It's a terrible move. And it doesn't go well for Loki. No, Thanos chokes him out, and that's a wrap on Tom Hiddleston. Hold on, no, hold on. When you say he chokes him out, The thing about choking somebody out is that when you let go, generally the blood starts to flow back to their brain. They come back to their senses eventually. There was a a clear I think that's just choking someone, not choking them out. He killed Loki. (laughs) Yeah. He's he's just holding Tom Hiddleston there. And I love Thor's look. His one eye is just really distressed here and teary. Yeah, he's- only had two of them. He could have double cried. If he was mad about Heimdall, he's- just really mad now, because that's that's two people that he cares about, allegedly. We'll get there. Thanos and the Black Order teleport out using the Space Stone while the ship explodes around Thor. 
It should be a wrap on a lot of people. It should be. But I like how the rules are kind of set already. Yeah, it's like uh, Thanos shows up, he breaks a bunch of stuff, and then he pieces out. Right. Nobody's safe right now. New York City. Bruce Banner, played, of course, by Mark Ruffalo, comes crash landing through the Sanctum Sanctorum, totally interrupting Doctor Strange and Wong's lunch plans. That's, of course, Benedict Cumberbatch and Benedict Wong. The Benedicts. Double bennies, and I love it. Double bennies, yes. And then you got Ruffalo, who's ruining the double benny lunch plan. Exactly. They were is going to be a, a Benny Benny Hana. <laughs> <laughs> no, they were going to get sandwiches. Well, how exciting. Instead, I came in like a Ruffalo. <laughs> Nobody needs that. I think everybody needs that. <laughs> so Bruce tells them about the impending arrival of Thanos. And while that's happening, Tony Stark, Robert Downey Jr., you've heard of him. You've seen him. He's been in other movies. He's walking through the park with Pepper Potts, who's played by Gwyneth Paltrow, as we all know. And he's telling her about a dream he had about having a kid. And then Doctor Strange pops up through his little sling ring portal. And he's like, Tony Stark, you need to come with me. I love that, though, because he doesn't really buy that he needs to go with this guy until the Ruffalo pops out from behind him. He's like, oh, shit. Oh, damn. Bruce, you're where here. You been? I haven't seen you since, geez, Age of Ultron? Now, Brian, before we leave Gwyneth Paltrow in the dust for the rest of this movie, okay, I think it's really important that we get to talk about her just briefly again, because it's been a little while since we've seen her. It's been a minute. And we should probably catch up with some of the new products on Goop. Oh, yeah. What's the Goop? Don't say what's the Goop. <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> I said, what's the scoop? I don't know what you heard. Well, for starters, new in the shop. And by the way, to get to the shop on the Goop site, you got to hit the menu and you got to hit DTF. Of, of <laughs> you course. You have to go into the shop part of it. But there is a leather feather tickler. Leather feather. For $85. So it's basically just taking a dust feather and slapping a massive price tag on that. You could also buy gold handcuffs for $425. Of, of course. A play paddle, which is <laughs> a rubber paddle, for okay. $144. Can you serve hot wings on it? You probably can. Looking at it, absolutely. <laughs> there is a teach me a lesson ruler. <laughs> Gwyneth Paltrow. That costs $20. <laughs> teach me a lesson ruler. But the one that really blows my mind the most, it's called the O-Nut. Um. And what it is, is a wearable set of squishy, stretchy rings for mm-hmm. when penetrative sex feels too deep. They're bumpers? So you're basically putting like a drain stopper on your donger. <laughs> They're like stackable, it looks like in the picture. It's Honey, ridiculous. I need you, to put, need you to put the training wheels back on your <laughs> wiener. Oh, God. That's I, a goopy. <laughs> that's a goopy. <laughs> we could not talk about Gwyneth Paltrow again until the end of Endgame. Uh, okay. I think we're good now. Right? We covered our hopefully, bases. Hopefully she'll have a whole slew of new products by then. It'll be end of 2022, probably. So I, I think we're golden now. We we did it. Is we it going to be that long? It's only three movies away in the MCU. I know, but knowing Gwyneth Paltrow needs to have time to come up with new products between now and the time we talk about it, it might be that long. We're going to have to delay Endgame just so, so Gwyneth Paltrow could put out some new goop. She's charging $20 for a piece of wood. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't even measure. 
It doesn't. It's a ruler, and it doesn't have lines. It just says you've been naughty, which means that it's really just a nun toy. <laughs> I'm probably dig deep into that, but I you think I'm going to leave it alone. <laughs> Gwyneth, thank you for your service. Yeah. Thank you for providing all of our goopy needs. Please, let's move on with Infinity War and never speak of goop again until we absolutely have to. Okay. So Tony and the Benedicts and Bruce all get together and they plan for Thanos' arrival. And Sherlock and Sherlock are budding heads. They really are. And it makes sense why they would. Oh, yeah. They're both very strong-willed uh, buttheads. That's a great way to put it. Buttheads gonna butt heads. And they're both very, very smart, and they know it. They're both extremely cocky. But their conversation mostly centers on what are they going to do with the Time Stone? Which Doctor Strange has in the Eye of Agamotto. Right. And Tony's like, what do you do with that? Maybe we should get rid of that. And he's like, I was sworn to protect it. Okay, well, maybe we just destroy it. But they can't do that. But Tony doesn't know that. I don't think you heard me, Tony. I'm sworn to protect it. Destroying is the opposite of protecting. I don't know if you know that, Tony. Based on your track record, probably not, but... I got 149 minutes to just keep repeating that to you, Tony, if that's what you need. Tony's like, have you seen Iron Man 3? No, destroying is protecting. That's. <laughs> have you seen Age of Ultron? Destroying is protecting. And that's when you have Doctor Strange go, no, I've only seen the good ones. Oh! Slam! Iron Man 3 is the best of the Iron Man. Come on. Completely agree. Apologies to Iron Man 3. So they get nowhere the time stone. So they have to move on to the Mind Stone. Vision, speaking of Age of Ultron, Tony's like, oh yeah, I don't even know where he is. That's a problem! The only one who might know, Steve Rogers, but they aren't exactly on talking terms because of the whole Civil War thing. And that seems a bit ridiculous, that that's what you would bring up, that you would mean girls him. (laughs) And you would say, we're not exactly talking. Uh, Tony, I just said that the universe is in danger. And you're worried about speaking to this guy? That's what's worrying you? Oh, sir, I know you haven't been around a lot, Bruce, but we're not exactly friends anymore. We don't go around saving the universe together. He doesn't even go here. (laughs) Do you want to know what blew my mind about this scene? What? Three separate things. I'll list them in order. Number one, Tony's got a flip phone. Number two, uses AT&T. Number three, Steve Rogers' phone number is on screen. And it's an Atlanta number. It is. It's a 678 number. 678-136-7092. Brian. Yeah. Let's find out what happens when you call that number. Okay. Welcome to Verizon Wireless. Your oh, no. boo! Please check the number and dial again. And That's not at That's not what Verizon you do. I hate how fake Hollywood is. To quote Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. <laughs> I feel like Marvel Studios has the money. They could have gotten the number and could have set up a nice little like voicemail thing that's a fun Easter egg. But no, famously uncreative, and they just proved it again. <laughs> Everybody knows Marvel Studios, one trick pony, just superhero movies and nothing <laughs> that's else. That's it. <laughs> I can explain the flip phone. Stan Lee literally delivers it to him at the end of Civil War in case he needs to get a contact with Steve. Uh, you know what? That makes sense, actually, then. I forgot all about that. Mostly because that stand got snapped. Tony Stank. I, yeah, exactly. That stand got snapped. Love that stand. So I forgot all about him. So Tony's about to call Steve, and they're interrupted by the arrival of a big old spaceship. Cut to Peter Parker, Tom Holland, on a bus doing a little field tripping. His spidey senses start acting up. He gets the, the hair standing up on his arm. I love that. We get to see it. We never get to see his spidey sense go off. 
No, Usually it's, it's just like a quick like, what? What was that? Or it's just somebody saying, my spider sense is tingling. <laughs> I'm so happy that wasn't it. The Peter tingle. That's not what it should ever be called. So he sees the spaceship, so he jumps out the side of a moving bus in front of all of the New York traffic you can imagine. He does, but he tells Ned that he needs to cause a distraction, to which Ned, not even trying to cause an actual distraction, just says, holy shit, a spaceship, we're all gonna die! That's right, I forgot Ned is in this movie for 15 seconds. Good for him. And driving the bus, Stanley, and he's like, what's the matter with you kids? You've never seen a spaceship before? As we always say, what Thanos snapped, at least half the stands gotta go. Mm-hmm. This one stays around, if you ask me. I think this one sticks around. This one's seen some shit. He has seen some shit. He's blue collar. He's just working. Just right. trying to make a living. Trying to make a living doesn't give a shit about spaceships. Just wants to make sure those kids get to wherever they're going. The science this museum field tri- or something. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to the IMAX theater so you can watch Infinity War. It is the first movie filmed entirely at IMAX. The first non-documentary movie. That's very fair. Apologies to King Tut. <laughs> it was always King Tut. It always was King Tut. No matter what one you went to, it was like, oh, we're going to the, the Omni Theater in Boston. King Tut's playing. <laughs> oh, you're going to DC? You're going to the National Museum of whatever? King Tut. Uh, good for you. He's tutting around with that king. Tut's up with that. <laughs> he died too young. He'll never get to say Tut's up with that to anybody. <laughs> Maybe he did. Missed opportunity. He's the one who started it. He wishes. So Ebony Ma and Call Obsidian, Call Obsidian played by Terry Notary, they beam down from the spaceship and it is on. Tony starts taunting them because that's what Tony does. Strange and Wong magic shield up and Banner is having some performance issues. Sounds like he needs to get on the phone with Gwyneth Paltrow. That would be a conversation I would love to sit it on. <laughs> that makes one of us. <laughs> I'll bite the bullet. I don't mind. So Tony does the old tappy-tappy on his chest thing, and a whole nanotech Iron Man suit forms around him. So now it's Iron Man and the Double Bennies versus these alien monsters, one of which is big and strong, and the other one is all telekinetic and whatnot. Seems like a fair fight, I think. Maybe? I don't know. Spider-Man shows up to help, but Strange is all kinds of passed out and being taken away by Ebony Maw. Naturally, Strange and Spidey get beamed up to the spaceship. So Tony summons a brand new suit for Spider-Man to keep him safe because of the lack of oxygen, and he's already made it for him. And then uh, Tony gets on the ship, sends Peter away, or so he thinks. And I love this because once Tony's on this ship, he calls Pepper and says, hey, not going to make our reservation. And right away she says, you better not be on that ship. You better you better turn around right now, mister. You better not be on that spaceship. He's like, yeah, I'm on the spaceship. But he feels so bad about it. But yeah. it's so weird because you have him understanding that duty calls. He has to do this. He doesn't want to be here. Right. But on the other side of it, you have Pepper going like, I thought we were past this. Yeah, like their whole conversation in the park was about how he doesn't need the Iron Man suit anymore because he's retired or whatever. And he's like, yeah, it's just for protection. You know, whatever. But now here he is, called back to action. We finally got to the Tony that I love. Oh, okay. We made it. It's about damn time. I mean, it's a long arc, but he makes it there eventually. Still an arc, still counts. Spider-Man is clinging to the side of the spaceship and he finds his way on board. Back on Earth, Wong is going to defend the Sanctum because Strange is gone and Banner is going to call Steve. Cut to space. And we know that because of the, the title that pops up on the screen and that sweet 80s music that's just playing. Oh, yeah. We get that rubber man going and it's like, okay, we're ready for some Guardians. This is the only 
non-score song in the movie. Is it really? Yeah. It's the most appropriate way to introduce these characters because it's so hard not to get excited when you recognize right away, Guardians are coming. Yeah. I just love they keep the, like a similar visual motif, a similar oh, yeah. you get the audio motif. So it's like, this is the perfect way to start really colliding these worlds that we've been right. experiencing individually. It's all coming together. The Guardians of the Galaxy are coming up on a distress signal. They arrive at the wreckage of the Asgardian ship, and Thor lands directly on their windshield. So they take him aboard. Drax, played by Dave Bautista, as we already mentioned, and Gamora, played by Zoe fucking Saldana, box She's office the human queen. box office. Yep. They're amazed by his rugged good looks, and Peter Quill, played of course by Chris Pratt, is uh, unimpressed. <laughs> and voicing it. And by unimpressed, I mean he's feeling a little self-conscious. Uh, a lot of bit of self-conscious. He's, he's having some issues here. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I'm going to take this as a wake-up call. I'm going to get a Bowflex. I'm going to start working out. I just love how Drax is the one who says, like, hey, you're looking a little flabby there. And he's, like, pointing out his neck and stuff. And <laughs> yeah. It's so good. This is not a dude. You're a dude. This is a man. It's absolutely perfect. It's great. It's amazing that they're able to keep, like, the cadence alive, even without having James Gunn there. It shows the relationship these actors have that they've established over two movies already. Yeah. But it shows the foundation that James Gunn laid down for sure, that the Russo brothers were just able to run with. Absolutely. It helps that James Gunn was executive producing the movie. Oh, without a doubt it does. <laughs> but, I mean, with Marvel, these directors talk. They kind of oh, yeah. shepherd their own characters yeah. through. They talk. They all respect each other, it seems. Allegedly, James Gunn only made one change to the script, and we will get there. I don't know it. I'm actually really excited. Mantis, played by Palm Clementia, wakes up Thor. And Thor is like, hey, what's going on here? And he and Star-Lord butt heads. It's, it's a lot like the Sherlocks, but now it's two different blonde guys. I feel like Biff Tannen would love this movie just because of the butt heads. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know what? The principal from Breakfast Club, a lot of bulls getting the horns. <laughs> That's right. Thor knows that Thanos is heading to nowhere to get the reality stone. But he wants to go to Nidal... Nidavellir. It's a word that's Whoa. It's, um, Norse. So I watched your face do things I've never seen it do before. Nidavellir. As you tried to say that. that. You got it that time. I stumbled a couple times there. Um, but he wants to get a new hammer. Cause, you know, it's Hela, a hammer. Hella broke his. That's right. Hella was very mean and broke his hammer, and now he feels inadequate. He's like, I need a hammer so I can fight Thanos. And Rocket, played by Bradley Cooper, and Groot, played by Vin Diesel, are both like, yeah, we'll go with you, because that sounds like a way better idea than going to see Thanos. <laughs> I like how Rocket's like, they got a ton of weapons there that they make. That sounds like the place for me. That is definitely Rocket's MO. Big old weapons, strong weapons. That's where I want to be. It's the perfect place for a rabbit. A sweet rabbit. <laughs> so they head to Nidavellir. Man, I'm not going to get that in the first try at all. Ever. And the rest of the team head to nowhere to stop Thanos from getting the Reality Stone. I like how we're breaking up teams already. Yeah. Which team are we going to follow? Neither. We're going to Edinburgh. That's right. Natural jump to Scotland. Everybody's like, yeah, we okay, we've seen space, but what's happening in Scotland? Oh, we're going to need one of those space to Scotland transitions? Yeah, no problem. <laughs> Just pull up Google Earth. We're going to zoom. <laughs> Wanda Maximoff, played by Elizabeth fucking Olsen, and Vision, played by Paul fucking Bettany have been secretly having their little romantic clandestine meetings, despite being on opposite sides of the Civil War. They're both like the forbidden fruit. I love it. Yeah, it's just, you know, they're hanging out, just feeling each other. 
I just feel you. You just feel me. <laughs> then we go for a walk and see if we can get our kebabs fried. That's so hot. Just hearing it. Oh, man. <laughs> Seeing it's one thing, but listen to it. Ah, oh, yes, please. So Wanda and Vision are ambushed by two members of the Black Order. Proxima Midnight, played by Carrie Coon, and Corvus Glaive, played by Michael James Shaw. They're married, right? Characters, yes. Yeah, not the actors, obviously. You the can, actors have different You can't last tell names. the chemistry at all. Ugh. <laughs> Ugh. Yes, these two are canonically married. Okay. I always forget that because this movie doesn't do anything with that at all. And Nothing. I get why they don't. It's not important to. Right. That just makes it a little more interesting if you know that. There's an extra layer there, yeah. A layer that doesn't amount to anything. Nothing at all. They fight over Vision's forehead for a little while. And it seems like things aren't going well for Wanda and Vision. Well, no, they're not going well at all. They keep pinning down Vision and sticking the spear that kind of has like a, yeah. a hook on the end into his head. The magic spear. And it spear. seems pretty easy to pry pin out. down Vision. It's yeah. not hard to do. And also he got stabbed at one point, which isn't great. No, it went right through his chest. And he's like, oh, I can't phase anymore. It's like, well, it's a good thing the writers figured out a way to get rid of that power because that would make their job very <laughs> difficult. It is very clever writing to do that. Just like, wow, the one thing he can do, no problem, take it away. Yeah, don't All let right. him get away that easy. But luckily, while they're fighting, a train passes, making for the perfect dramatic entrance of Steve Rogers. And I love this, because the train starts passing, and Proxima Midnight just looks off screen at the train, just like yeah. something ominous is happening. It's like, that's a weird thing to do. It's a weird choice. Well, maybe they don't have trains wherever she's from. I guess that's true. What is this giant beast coming to fight? Uh, Titan is very famous for its terrible infrastructure and transportation <laughs> systems. They just have those weird flying star-shaped things. They don't have that's trains. That's right. And now they're not even flying anymore. They're just kind of hovering because the gravity's fucked up. But it is pretty badass seeing Steve Rogers stand there. And I love that you see him in a silhouette and he's got that stance. You're just like, that's Steve Rogers. Oh, it is, it is Chris fucking Evans here to fuck shit up. And you know who else shows up right here at this very moment? Chris Evans' fucking beard. I was going to say Alan Silvestri. He sure does. Because that train passes and it's just I'm like, ah, yes, here we go. But can we talk about the beard? Yeah, let's talk about that beard. That is a mighty beard. Sweet beard. This guy's been on the run, hasn't had time to shave at all. He hasn't, and this would have come in handy. In the post-credit for the first Avengers. <laughs> sure would have. In the shawarma scene where he had to cover up the beard. It's like, nah. Nah. Embrace it. a little bit. Lean in. Guy looks good with a beard. Good job. Good for you, Chris Evans. Also joining the fight, we have Natasha Romanoff, played by Scarlett Johansson, and Sam Wilson, played by Anthony Mackie. So, you know, we got a bunch of people who don't really have powers who are going to help out the two most powerful Avengers. That's right. And, well, I mean, Cap has... He's a super soldier. He has powers, kind of. He's really strong. He punches things. Punches things hard. Natasha just, she's good at whipping around those electric sticks. What a power to have. <laughs> and Sam Wilson flies with guns. He really does fly well with guns, though. He's good at it. That's for sure. So the four of them, because Vision's pretty much out of commission at this point, they work together to fight off the alien couple. And then they're like, all right, we did it. Let's go home. Where's home at this point for them? I don't know. I'm not totally sure. Years, but I imagine because Mark Ruffalo was like, I'm going to call Steve on this flip phone that they're talking about the Avengers complex in upstate New York. Okay, that's very fair then. Because when I heard him say, oh, let's go home. I'm just like, what are we talking about here? You are all homeless, in fact. (laughs) 
Uh, like our spiritual home. I'm glad they left that part out of the line. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go to our spiritual home. And then you have Steve Rogers just cross his legs, sit on the floor. Oh, yeah. Starts doing a little transcendental man meditation oh. there. Hey, hey, don't say it out loud. That's my word. That's my word. If you say it, then you take it. I don't want that. <laughs> Even though I bet his word would be tone. Because he's secretly still best friend with Tony Stark. Oh, of course. I as mean, much as he doesn't want to admit it. We're mad at each other. We don't fight together anymore. <laughs> I miss you. Dude, I totally miss you. It would be great if they had like a weird the social network moment where you just see like Tony Stark staring at the Facebook page, how he had sent a friend invite <laughs> to Steve Rogers and it just isn't accepted it yet. It just sits there on red. <laughs> be great if while that's happening, Cap looks into his, his solo cup and Jables isn't there. That's right. <laughs> that would be a crossover. I didn't know we needed until <laughs> now. Just, just the net, the social network, Tenacious D and the Avengers. Just save it for when Mephisto's a thing, finally. Yes, and just bring in Dave Grohl. And that's it. It's the most perfect thing that's ever been done in film Nailed history. It. You're welcome. Congratulations. You won cinema. It's over. We can all stop watching these stupid things now. <laughs> it was the greatest and best movie ever made. If only we could remember it, though. <laughs> can you give me the gist? Sure can. <laughs> a long time ago, me and my buddy Tony here. <laughs> we was hitchhiking down a long and lonesome Titan. <laughs> Even though he doesn't go there. That's a Tony thing. We'll get there. We'll get there. Right now, we're going to flash back to Baby Gamora, played by Ariana Greenblatt. Sure. Her planet is just being ravaged by Thanos and the Black Order. Just absolutely destroyed. And he takes her aside and distracts her with a little double-sided dagger that's perfectly balanced, while half of the population of her planet is executed right over her shoulder. But I like how she tries to look back at it, and Thanos is like, oh, no, 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 no child, no. don't look at that. You don't want to see that. But I also love how Thanos balances this double-sided dagger on his fingers, like, oh, perfectly balanced as everything should be. Right. And then she goes to balance it, and she can't at first. Because she got tiny hands. Exactly, but then it gets balanced, and Thanos is like, oh, good. One day you're going to be the most dangerous woman in the galaxy because you have balanced a blade successfully. I see you're good at finding the the balance point of a of an object. So I, I have know. parented. You're all dead. <laughs> now you are my daughter. <laughs> That's all it takes. You parent one kid and suddenly you're stuck with them. <laughs> so if any strangers start handing you daggers, don't try to balance them because then you'll become their children. Yeah, don't do that. It's the quick way to get adopted. If you are an orphan and you need to get adopted, maybe just start dropping daggers all over the place saying, oh, it fell out of your pocket. I'm yours now. <laughs> but other than that, though, just be careful. Be weary. Be careful. It's a very different version of Little Orphan Annie. <laughs> Her walking down the street just dropping daggers everywhere. <laughs> Back in the present, Gamora makes Quill promise that if Thanos manages to capture her, that he will kill her. And it's uh, they have a moment. They actually, this is Peter and Gamora's first on-screen kiss. But I like how it's clearly in the undertone that they do this often. Yes, it's like okay, this isn't the first time ever. No, but it's, it's the first time we see it. Drax exactly. Often watches them do it. It seems he does because he's in the room here, and they ask how long you've been there. It's like about an hour. Hours. I'm just standing so still that I'm imperceptible. I move slowly. We can see you. Then Mantis walks in. She's like, hi, Drax. 
I like it. It's like, damn it. And just walks off again. It is perfect. It's great. So we arrive at nowhere. Star-Lord, Gamora, Drax, and Mantis find Thanos interrogating the Collector, Benicio del fucking Toro. Yep. He's like, hey, where's the reality stone? And the Collector's like, I sold it. Oh, we're just supposed to believe him. Oh, okay. This guy, notorious liar. Just, yeah, no, he sold it. He doesn't have it. The one time he's ever going to tell the truth is just now. This is when he's decided it. When <laughs> Thanos sudden. has his big old size 96 shoe on his chest. <laughs> Thanos makes Shaq look like he has small feet. That's <laughs> true. <laughs> Drax is desperate for vengeance, so he ignores Quill's instructions and just starts to charge Thanos. Luckily, Mantis is there. She puts him to sleep, but the sound of Drax hitting the floor immediately alerts Thanos. Yeah, not great. Terrible plan. It's awful. He throws the Collector aside and walks towards the team. Gamora attacks, just dabbing Thanos up real good with her sword and the same little dagger. And that's it. He's dead. That's the movie. That is Avengers Infinity War. She kills Thanos. Wasn't so much a war as it was just a small skirmish. We saw a bunch of people doing their own thing and then Gamora killed the bad guy. Right. We finally got all these characters together (laughs) in one feature film and we blew it. Now, it turns out Thanos already has the reality stone and he's been playing them. He has. He created an entire room of tomfuckery, and it starts disappearing. <laughs> and I love, as it's going by, Benicio Del Toro is like waving bye to the everyone, like, I'm out of the movie now, goodbye. He's like, I'm not actually here, I'm an illusion, bye. But I love how Thanos just sort of saunters out, just going, why you gotta kill my hologram, bro? Hey, I see that you're sad about killing me. That's nice. <laughs> That's real nice, daughter. Oh, God, things about to escalate really quickly. I love that every time he gets a stone, he immediately uses it. So we're like, okay, that's what that one does. It's nice. It's a good way to build it in. It helps, if yeah. nothing else. He uses it to turn Drax into just a pile of cubes, and he turns Mantis into like a long ribbon. Kind of like a Jack in the Mantis. Jack she, like, the Mantis. pops out, and she's all yeah. springy. She's very springy. Spring is sprung. That's right. Quill emerges with a gun, holding it to Thanos, and Gamora's like, no, we talked about this. You got to shoot me, not him. And Thanos is like, this guy? He doesn't have the balls. That is not something you should say. It's not. When somebody's holding a gun. Well, then again, Quill actually works up the courage. He pulls the trigger, and Thanos just makes the gun shoot bubbles. Yeah, that totally checks out, though. Thanos loves bubbles. He really, really does. And I think that's kind of adorable for, like, this giant genocidal maniac. He just bubbles things. There's still, like, a little child in there somewhere. How could you be upset with this? If you have this gun, it just bubbles out. And you're like, this is great. Pop, 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 little bubbles. And then he's like, all right, well, that was fun. I like this kid. He takes Gamora, and they teleport out of there with the, the space stone. So now we got a bit of a hostage situation, don't we? It seems that way, but also it could be just a family reunion. I guess you can look at it that way. It's only really a hostage situation to the people who know Gamora, which is only a quarter of this movie. <laughs> yeah, it's like these four people. So the stakes aren't <laughs> terribly high here. Not yet. They're like really, really high to one person. Exactly. It's like, But oh. for the rest of the movie, not that high. They're kind of unknown for the most part, actually. Yeah, yeah. And nobody's like, oh, his daughter's with him now? We're screwed. I can't imagine like someone explains this Doctor Strange on Earth, and he's just like, who and who and what and why? What? Wait, the purple guy picked up his green daughter and now we're in more trouble? That sounds confusing, if nothing else. Team Cap and Vision return to the Avengers facility in upstate New York, where they meet up with Rhodey, Don Cheadle, who's Don now got- Don fucking Cheadle! He's got some bionic leg braces now, so he's walking around again, so that's nice. 
they all tell Thaddeus Ross that he can fuck off and that they're here to save the day. I love Don Cheadle here because he's like, yeah, what do you need from me? Right. Right. He's like, hey, you guys haven't seen you in a while. You look like shit. We got to we got to do something because Tony's been abducted by aliens. (laughs) Do they have any idea about any of the backstory here? They should because Bruce is there. He emerges from the shadows. That's a good point. He says hi to Black Widow and everybody's like, oh, this is fucking weird. Because it is fucking weird. It's so weird. He's like, hi, Nat. And she's like, what's up, Bruce? He ghosted me in the worst possible way. You left the planet. That's aggressive. It is. So you could have just said you don't want to hang out. Or just proper ghosts, like the old-fashioned way. Don't text back. Don't answer the calls. You don't have to leave the planet. I got to get to wherever Jeff Goldblum is right now, because I can't be near this woman any longer. (laughs) So they got to figure out what their plan is here. Vision is like, hey, Wanda can just blow up the Mind Stone right here on my forehead. And then Thanos can't get it. And they're like, Vision, we can't trade the life of, quote-unquote, life of this android for the entire universe. Don't be silly. But mostly Wanda's like, I can't do that. Because, you know, they have the thing between them. Right, the feeling. The feeling. Who am I going to feel if he is gone? (laughs) I just feel you. If you are gone, then what do I feel? Then I feel nothing. Until I start feeling other things. But let's not talk about that. <laughs> Bruce suggests they might be able to get rid of the stone while keeping the majority of Vision's programming intact, but he doesn't quite have the technology for it. So Cap's like, mm, I know exactly where we should go. Cut to Wakanda. T'Challa, played by Chadwick fucking Bozeman, and Okoye, played by Denai fucking Guerrera, bring a new vibranium arm to Bucky, played, of course, by Sebastian fucking Stan. He's the White Wolf, and he's been resting too long. He's been on ice, and it's time to, hey, let's get him in there. He's like, where's the fight? And is he just chopping wood with one arm? Yeah, he's a G. Fair enough. It's the only <laughs> argument I need to hear, I guess. <laughs> so now that we know where they're heading, we can leave Wakanda immediately and go back to Ebony Maw's spaceship, where he is currently torturing Doctor Strange to get the time stone from him. I hated this scene so much. He's just dangling with all these spiky things, just touching his cheek and making him glow in the dark. Yeah, not great, though, because you see, like, the little spiky things go into him, and then it lights up. Yeah. Like, the spot where it went in, and you got to go, yeah, that probably hurts a lot. It's like, I don't don't know anything about, like, space weaponry, but it looks painful. Peter Parker shows up. He reveals to Tony that he's on the spaceship, and Tony's like, God damn it, kid. But then they work together to hatch a plan to help Strange. And when I say they work together, Peter Parker comes up with the plan to save Strange. Because he got the idea from this really old movie called Alien. And it works. It does work, and it's that's just insane to me that it works. It's amazing. Tony blasts a hole in the side of the ship. It sucks Ebony Maw out into space, and then Spider-Man catches Doctor Strange from being sucked out behind him. Yeah, that's it. They, they saved the day. Strange is like, why don't we turn the ship around and go back to Earth? We did it. Hooray! Movie over, part two. And Tony's like, I got a better idea. Why don't we go to Titan, where Thanos is from, and just hide out, wait for him. Get him with the element of surprise. And somehow everybody just goes along with that plan. I don't think they really have a choice here because the ship is on autopilot to go to Titan. Yeah. And they can't turn around. There's that moment of like, you can't do anything, can you? It's like, no. (laughs) (laughs) I think Tony might be able to figure it out, but he has no desire to. So they're, yeah, they're stuck going there. I don't know if there's no desire to because I actually really love this Tony moment here where Doctor Strange is pressuring him for the plan. And Tony goes, you know what? I don't know. Because it is like a coming down to Earth, even though they can't get back to Earth. Right. But Tony finally admitted he doesn't know something. He finally said the words. 
And I love that bit of character development here. If we were on You Can't Do That on Television, he just got slimed. Oh, he got big time slimed. And it's nice to finally see Tony Stark get slimed, get some goop on him. Don't say that. (laughs) (laughs) But Tony, to me, has always been a character that has existed within like an Arrested Development sort of state where you see like these very quick growth bits to him, but then it always just falls back onto the usual arrogant, rich, hiding within the suit. And that's why we like Iron Man 3 so much is because he has to actually be outside the suit. Right. And you actually get to see the character of Tony Stark. And here, I feel like you get something close to that, where he is wearing the suit, but he's finally saying, I got no idea. I don't have a plan this time. Right. This is the best we got. We're going here. We'll figure it out when we get there. A little bit out of my element right now. It's a little bit out of everybody's element here. (laughs) Not so much Doctor Strange, but what's he going to do? I don't know. Yeah. He's able to fly through space until he's not. (laughs) That's... That's usually the rules for everybody. They're able to do the thing until they're not. So Tony dubs Peter an Avenger, and uh, Tom fucking Holland sells this just in facial expressions. It's so good. When he when he gets dubbed an Avenger, his excitement and then like the seriousness of the situation sets in, and it's just it's very good. Just It's a very good sell. I like Tom it. Tom Holland's face. Absolutely. So we go from this ship over to Thanos' ship, and he tells Gamora that he knows that she knows where the Soul Stone is. She's like, what are you talking about? I have no idea where it is. And he's like, come over to this room where I'm torturing your sister. <laughs> it's hard to watch, too. And yeah, there is Nebula, Karen fucking Gillen, strung up in pieces. And he's just zapping her until she screams. And, and Gamora's like, okay, that's that's hard to watch. And she eventually breaks. She's like, all right, it's on Vormir. The stone's on Vormir. That seemed easy enough to get it out of her. Yeah, yeah. For the deadliest assassin in the world, she's uh she's got a soft spot there for her family. Maybe she's thinking, like, we're on this ship right now. If I go loose lips, could I sink this bitch? Maybe. That's actually a solid strategy. She's been hanging out with Peter. Maybe he said it a few times. She's like, oh, I know what loose lips do. <laughs> could mean anything for Peter. Be careful with that one. They get you on Gwyneth Paltrow's mailing list. There's got to be something on Goop that tightens it all up, and I hate thinking about that. I hate it. <laughs> Are you sinking too many ships with your loose lips? Get a Volflex. (laughs) That's actually very good. Peter said that he wanted a Bowflex earlier. I just feel like this is like a whole tie-in here. (laughs) I don't see Chuck Norris selling too many (laughs) Volflexes. He's probably not the right spokesperson for it. Agreed. (laughs) But I bet those things are going to fly off the shelf once they become available. Even though Gwyneth Paltrow is going to market to like, oh, it's nine ninety nine sixty nine. Nice. I was just going to say, it's going to be $1,000, but you made it better. I appreciate that. I'm working for Gwyneth Paltrow. I am the Goop King. Oh, my God. <laughs> Sounds like you need to change your Twitter handle. <laughs> that has to be taken, right? <laughs> oh, that's so gross, though. If All it does, around gross. Everybody just start sending messages to the Goop King that Dave should have his... Account. <laughs> Who the hell's Dave? Stop letting me mess about Dave. Let's go see what Thor and the gang are up to over in the Guardian's escape pod. Rocket tries to play Captain and give Thor a pep talk. Rocket's not very good at pep talks yet. He's still learning. He's like, hey, so everybody you know is dead, huh? And Thor is like, yeah, I'm fucking depressed about it, too. Oh, he lists out just everybody that he's lost. And I like this because of what happens next movie. You finally get to see just... How down in the dumps Thor yeah. actually is. And yeah. you get that feeling because of 
how bright and jubilant and funny Ragnarok is. But underneath all of that is that torture exactly. that he has to just keep carrying with him. Right. I think that's kind of like the secret brilliance there of Ragnarok. Yeah, it's funny as all hell, but that's not really what it's about. It is masking a very dark story. And that dark story is really starting to come to a head. It is. Thor is having a bad time, and he is out for vengeance. Rocket gives him a new eyeball, and they arrive at Nidavellir. First try. I'm very proud of you. Thor, Rocket, and Groot find the mold for the Infinity Gauntlet and are immediately attacked by the dwarf E-Tree, played by Peter Dinklage. Peter fucking, fucking Dinklage. Dinklage. What are you doing? You know, this, this part is... I have an actual IMDb trivia fact. Oh, okay. <laughs> now, last week, for the Toxic Avenger 3, the last adaptation of Toxie, there were a total of seven IMDb trivia facts, and I read five of them. That's right. It was a lot. This week, there were 362 actual IMDb trivia facts. Oh, God. That's so many. And I picked out two. Oh, thank God. All right. One, because it makes a connection that just boggles my freaking mind. And this one, because it's just egregious. Okay, those are usually the best ones. This is an actual IMDb trivia fact. Peter Dinklage, in parentheses, a little person in real life, ironically plays the tallest character in the film though his character is still referred to as a dwarf. Okay. Now you know. Yep. That's tricky to dance around, isn't it? Thanks, IMDb. You're the best. For approving that one. Oh, boy. When Itri realizes it's Thor, he stops and explains that Thanos showed up demanding the gauntlet, and he made it for him to keep all the other dwarves safe, and Thanos killed them all anyway. So not everybody having a good time with this Thanos fella. No, Thanos seems to be just running train on everybody he comes across. He just shows up, kills a bunch of people, takes what he wants, and leaves. Except for his daughter, because it's not that kind of movie. Right. (laughs) Right. And I guarantee that type of movie exists. That's not what we're here for today. (laughs) Okay, I was waiting. I did not Google this. I was waiting for you to reveal the, the porn parody title. I just assume it exists. That's as much as we need to go into right now about it. Infistity War. You've heard of fisting, but have you heard of snapping? <laughs> Gross. <laughs> you did this. <laughs> Only because you got me in the goop state of mind. I went to close the door, and you just shouldered your way through it with infistity <laughs> war. I did, didn't I? Back on Thanos' ship, Nebula escapes her captors and sends a message to the remaining Guardians to meet her on Titan. Like, hey guys, whatever you're doing, stop it. Get to Titan. I'm going to be there. Just like that, go to Titan. I like that she addresses it to Mantis, too. It's like, there are other people on that ship that probably are higher ranking. (laughs) You feel like Mantis just sitting there, like, checking her email the whole time. Like, what else am I going to do in the background of all these things? (laughs) I don't know. On Titan, Stark, Parker, and Strange crash land the ship and are immediately met by Star-Lord, Drax, and Mantis, who apparently got the message pretty quick. They do get that message really, really quickly. And I like how they have the quick kerfuffle with each other on Titan. They're just like, ah, you're mean, you're mean, you're mean, you're mean. We should just talk. Both teams think that the other team's working for Thanos. So they attack each other. And it comes down to them all just holding each other at gunpoint and Strange asking, what master do you serve? And Quill's like, what am I supposed to say, Jesus? (laughs) And I love how right away Tony's like, you're from Earth. All right. No, I'm from Missouri. It's on Earth. Dumbass. (laughs) Dumbass. <laughs> it's perfect. I think he calls him dumb shit, actually, which is just great. I love how Peter Quill is always both one of the smarter guys and one of the dumber guys in every situation, no matter what it may be. 
the filmmakers like to think of him as like a Peter Pan type character. He was kidnapped at 10 and raised by pirates. So, you know, he's flawed. I think that's putting it real lightly. We'll get there. But they figure out that they're all there to kill Thanos. So they're like, all right, let's huddle up, figure out a strategy. Dr. Strange sits away from everybody else and starts looking into the future. He looks at 14,605 future scenarios, and they only win one of those. Yeah, that's not great odds. But I also like how he doesn't explain what the actual scenario is. No, he's just like, there's only one. And uh, that's for me to know and for you to find out. Well, I feel like he could have just said like, no, no, no. If I tell you what it is, that wasn't part of the scenario where we win. But me explaining this part of how I can't explain what the winning (laughs) part of the scenario, that is part of it. So we're following on the plan. Monkey! Okay, we're still part of the plan. I know that was a weird one to throw out there. It's just one of the futures I tried uh, out, and it geez, happened to be the I one that worked. This is the one. <laughs> Shit's gonna get real weird here soon. I was just throwing stuff at walls. After the first, <laughs> after the first twelve million, I just got wacky with it. <laughs> Can you imagine there's one scenario where it's just like Peter Quill's talking, and then over his head you just see like. So a literal shit hitting the wall <laughs> and Dr. Strange wiping off his hand as they cut back to him. It's like, it's part of the scenario. Sorry, I didn't man. write it. I can't believe it's going this way either. This could have gotten so much weirder than how it actually went. Speaking of shit hitting the wall, Vormir. <laughs> yeah, it's about to slam the wall repeatedly. Yeah, Vormir uh, is a place and Thanos and Gamora are there. They are looking for the Soul Stone. So they climb a mountain and are met by a floating entity that welcomes them. The Stonekeeper, Red Skull. We're bringing them all back. Played by Ross Marquand, who a lot of people know from Walking Dead, but he does very good impressions. They're like, hey, let's get the impression guy, because we can't get Hugo Weaving back. Yeah, they did a good job replacing him, though. They did an excellent job. He tells Thanos that the only way to retrieve the stone is to sacrifice something you love, and Gamora is like, yes. <laughs> she laughs in his face. Thanos loves nothing. Game over, man. It's like the perfect news to hear if you're Gamora. And then I like how Thanos turns around and he's got a tear coming down his eye like he just saw some litter and he's a Native American. <laughs> and Gamora's just like, ah, oh, now you're crying, you big oh, you're stupid crying baby. over a stone, you dumb purple bastard. <laughs> but it turns out that Thanos does love someone. And conveniently, she's right there. And it is absolutely heartbreaking when Red Skull tells Gamora he's not crying for him. Oh, yeah. And you see Gamora's face go, oh, shit. Oh, that's not good. So she grabs the dagger, and she's like, I'm going to stab myself with this to make sure that he can't get this stone. And, of course, it turns to bubbles. Of course it does, because it's adorable. <laughs> well, it's not adorable, as he throws Gamora over the edge. No, he grabs her by the arm, and he like walks her over to it, and you see the struggle that Gamora's is like, this is happening. There's no way I'm getting out of this. If he can body slam a Hulk, he can definitely just drag a Gamora. And he does. And she gets thrown. You're thinking as the audience, like, how is she getting out of this until you realize she's not. She's not. And then we see her lying dead on the ground. Yeah. Like the filmmakers really just had a like, hey, say, this happened. She's There's her body just splayed out there at the bottom of this cliff. I feel like that's important to do, though, when you're killing our heroes, is to actually show it. Show like, it. This happened. Remove This is doubt. actually happening. This is part of the story. Right. You're along for the ride. Gamora's dead. Gamora's gone. She's with Heimdall and with Loki. That would be a weird spinoff. That's a weird trio, for sure. <laughs> Loki would fit in really well with the Guardians, though. I'd actually like to see that quite a bit. 
That would be pretty interesting. I would watch that. There's a flash of light, and Thanos suddenly awakens in the CGI-est body of water ever, holding the Soul Stone. It seems like an easy way to get it, you know, after the fact. Like, after you do the horrible thing. Yeah, it's just like, oh, it's in my hand. Yeah, and he just slaps that bad boy into the gauntlet, and then he teleports himself out of there. Seemed pretty easy, when you think about it. Yeah. Look at, I mean, all you gotta do is kill something you love. And it's not even your real daughter. Let's not forget that. Right. But she's real good at balancing a dagger, so she's God, I wish you wouldn't have said it. That just tugged at my heartstrings. Yeah. In Wakanda, Cap, Falcon, Widow, Wanda, Rhodey, and Banner arrive and meet up with T'Challa, Okoye, and Bucky. Oh, yeah. The gang's finally getting together. A lot of gangs are getting together. We're about to make this movie a little bit easier to follow. They bring Vision to Shuri, played by Letitia Wright. And she begins working on separating the stone from his head. And then a bunch of ships suddenly crash land outside the protective dome of Wakanda. It's go time. Meanwhile, on Nidavellir, Thor and Rocket are working together to break the ice in the rings around this dying star at the center of Nidavellir. Thor basically swings the escape pod around like it's nothing, and it does a thing. And now, all of a sudden, everything's better. I have a lot of questions about physics when it comes to this (laughs) scene, especially. Because he... Grabs onto the escape pod, starts swinging the thing around over his head, yep. and then he throws it. And Rocket's in the thing just going like, what's this fucking idiot doing, pretty much? <laughs> and eventually, Thor is going to grab like a foothold onto these rings, start pulling, which in theory stops momentum of the right. escape pod itself, to which Thor says, give it more power. But it makes his throw completely meaningless, right? I, I, I don't know. I guess. I can't figure this scene out at all. Unless it's kind of like the loosening of a pickle jar or something. Like, you needed that first initial thrust into these rings in order to yeah. get it going. But You need that real big juicer to get it going, and then you <laughs> hold on. And I don't know. It's weird. I don't know either. It was weird. This was like the one part. I took, it took me out of the movie for a second. I was like, hold on a second, movie. It's it's super hard to figure out what's actually, because it's also like one of the darkest scenes of the movie. So it's like, okay, oh, absolutely. So now he's digging his heels in and tearing up the ice, but also shouldn't that be dragging back the... Because all he did was throw the spaceship, but I don't know. It's I don't know either. We're about to ignite a star, though, and it's awesome. Yeah, they did the thing. They they The stuff starts moving. The star lights back up, and everything's great until the hatch that lets the light out of the star to reach the forge just slams shut again because it's broken. Conveniently breaks. It's like, okay, this wasn't dramatic enough yet, so we got to make something else happen. <laughs> But before we go figure this problem out, we got to go back to Wakanda. We sure do. We're jumping right now between Nidavellir, Wakanda, and Titan. Right. There's no fourth place, right? I'm not missing anything. I think that's it right now. It's just those three locations. Oof. All right. I'm glad we have that established. It's important to tell the story the proper way. So the Wakandan army has gathered within the dome. Banner is using the Hulkbuster armor since Hulk still won't cooperate with him. I love this, though, because Banner still wants to fight. He understands the Hulk's not coming out. And I absolutely love when my heroes are willing to fight even without their power. Right. I love it. It says a lot about the character. Great moment. They don't need it. It's kind of why everyone loves Batman. How does Batman solve a situation? He punches his way out of it. Because that's all he really has to do besides detect him, use gadgets and fists. But man, he'll detect the shit out of your face with his fists if he gets the (laughs) chance. Exactly. Bruce Banner. I love this Hulk now, officially. I think this is this movie is like his shining moment. At least it's Banner's shining moment. Hulk Hulk does what he does in the beginning of the movie, and then he's just not there anymore. Hulk is saying no, right? 
Like, whenever he tries to call him out, Hulk's like, no. It's like, what do you mean, no? And a lot of people took that as Hulk is afraid of Thanos, but I think what was originally intended in the script is that he's just tired of doing Bruce Banner's bidding at his beck and call. He had this taste in Ragnarok of how it could be when he's free, and he's like, I don't want to just show up and get the shit kicked out of me. So he's just just saying no. He doesn't want to be a tool anymore. Exactly. He's like, I'm my own person. I can talk now. We'll get there. (laughs) (laughs) There's only a appropriate way to put that. I love this Bruce Banner, though. Yeah, he's great. Cap, Natasha, and T'Challa go to the edge of the dome and are met by Cull Obsidian Proxima Midnight. And Natasha's like, hey, where's the other guy? And Proxima Midnight's like, you'll pay for his death. And I'm like, oh, maybe those two are married. I don't know. (laughs) Maybe not. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. It doesn't seem like there's a history there, but it's not important. I love that there's just this meeting, though, at the at the dome. They're like, both sides are like, oh, you're fucked now. <laughs> we got all of our guys. Now it's on. T'Challa tells them that when they're through, all that'll be left is dust and blood. And I love Proxima Midnight here. She's like, well, we got plenty of blood. And then they just open up all their ships. Yeah. And so many soldiers come out. It's the Outriders, which are like these disgusting... Alien space dogs is what Rocket calls them later. We'll get there. We will get there. And yeah, they're just, they're murder machines. They're expendable murder machines. Exactly. And they, they're not human looking, so they're, you just kill a bunch of them and nobody feels bad about it. Right. That's kind of the most dangerous thing you could go against. It's a, just a metric shitload of outriders who are more than happy to hurt themselves to get into the dome. And they do hurt themselves getting into the dome. They sure because do. Because... They start diving into this force field and slicing themselves apart until some of them start to get through, which I don't understand how that happens. I don't understand how that works. Once there's a pile of other ones on top of you, you can sneak in. Is that? I that can't be right. I have no but idea. Some of them start to get through. They don't look good. Natasha's like, oh, they're killing themselves. It's like, well, not really, because they're through and they're about to come and try to ruin your day. Yeah. They start getting worried about being flanked. So T'Challa has a section of the dome opened to control the flow of the bad guys. And I love like the Wakanda person he's talking to says like, well, hold on a second. I just want to confirm this. Oh yeah. You Shuri. said you want to open the shield. Cause that seems fucked brother. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that seems pretty insane. He's like, trust me. Otherwise you're gonna have to deal with these fuckers too. Just open this one section. And yeah. But I love like the small, the section that opens up is like the size of like a slider door. Like yeah. there's nothing to it at all. And these things come flooding in. I love when these armies are running toward each other and you have T'Challa and Cap run out in front because they're so much faster than everybody else. Like they start at the back of the pack and by the end, by the time they get there, they're the first ones into the battle. Oh, but I love this so much too, because you do have T'Challa standing there and he's got all of his Wakanda troops all fired up. He gives them Wakanda forever and they all know like, yeah, it's on. It's Let's do it. It's fighting time. And they don't even ask any questions. They go. It is all for their nation and they all must realize it's for a bigger cause at this point, oh, right? for sure. For the world, for the universe. I wish other people would realize that. <laughs> it would be nice, wouldn't it? We'll get there shortly. <laughs> so everybody is fighting everybody. And this seems to be going pretty well for the Avengers and the Wakandans. But then they start to become overwhelmed by the sheer number of enemies attacking. And that seems like a good time to just leave. We're going to go to Nidvalir again. I like how this movie's giving us breathers, though. Yeah. It makes it feel like the intense parts are more intense because there's always something else to fall back on story-wise. Right. And they do, right. which is nice. Thor goes over to the star's housing unit and holds open that hatch. 
taking on the full energy of a dying star, which is apparently a very impressive feat. Itri tells him, "You'll it'll kill you. And he says, only if I die. And He's yeah, right. That's, that's what <laughs> killing you means. But I also love what Thor is going for now. He understands he needs this new hammer, or as they're calling it, Stormbreaker. Right. Because he needs a Thanos-killing weapon. The most legendary of Asgardian weapons. Rumor says it can even summon the Bifrost. Hey, how about that? But what I love about this is earlier in the movie, Rocket, as he was getting all depressed, listened to Thor talk about all the people that he lost, and Thor's just like, he's got nothing left anymore. This is what Thor's operating on yeah. at this point, because Rocket says like, well, what do you have to gain? He's like, I got nothing else to lose, so I love why not? Rocket's like, I got something to lose. I could lose a lot, actually. Yeah, he could. <laughs> Thor, not so much, though. And no. I love this Thor because he's depressed, but he still has a call to duty. Right. And that's really, really important. Yeah, even at his lowest low, he still is fighting for the cause. And luckily, he holds that hatch open just long enough for the metal to be melted in the forge and Stormbreaker to be formed in the mold. And then he passes out and just floats through the, the sky into where they all are, which is pretty neat. You say neat, I call it convenient. But... Super convenient. <laughs> it's their own. Eatree can't find the handle, so Groot grabs the molten hot axe and chops his own arm off to serve as the handle, which is just badass, because it's the first thing Groot does in the whole movie that's not just in his video game. We should talk about that also, because this Groot is now a teenage Groot, yes. because obviously he baby Grooted, and then he, he grew up Grooted, and he's Grooting up. Yes, right. Ah, I nailed it. <laughs> but he's playing his video game the whole time, and he finally recognizes that there is a larger call, so he chops his own arm off. It'll probably grow back. He's a For tree sure, man. he's a tree man. But his arm is now the handle of Stormbreaker, and I just love, love, love that moment, because you see... Stormbreaker start twitching as the Peter Dinklage says, like, he sparkling. needs his hammer! Rocket's like, I think he's dying. And then the, the little lightning, and it's like, all right, let's go back to Wakanda before this gets too exciting for me. It's the right time to pull the plug, though, on this scene. Oh, absolutely. Everything's about to happen. Absolutely. As the Avengers and Wakanda army are being overwhelmed, there's a sudden blast of Bifrost light and a big old electrified axe comes swinging through the Outriders. Thor, Rocket, Groot, Alan Silvestri, they're all here. And the reason we know that they're all here is because Mark Ruffalo tells us so. <laughs> oh, you're in trouble now. The floating, disembodied Ruffalo head on the CGI Hulkbuster. It is pretty bad CGI, I will give you that, but it's the <laughs> Ruffalo. I'm willing to get over it. Yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty excellent, and just Alan Silvestri is flexing here. He really, really is. This scene, three years later, still gives me chills. It gets me pretty fired up, but I remember seeing this scene in theaters. Our oh. theater lost it. Oh, we went nuts. And sitting here in the fortress watching this thing, I went, hell yes. Oh, it's so good. And like, you know what's happening because you see the Bifrost, you see the axe, you're like, okay, Thor's here, neat. And then that Bifrost clears and he stands there and that music hits and you're like, oh, this is epic. But that is Really, really good filmmaking in general. You should have something that has this rewatch value that still hits you emotionally. That's yes. how you know you laid the groundwork the right ways. Absolutely. And we're going to get there again. We are. Because there's so many we're going to get there, but we will we this will. time. Let's see what's happening on Titan. I was not looking forward to going back to Titan because I feel like I'm about to get real angry. There's reason to be angry here. Uh-huh. And here we go. Here we go. Let's dive headfirst in the shallow end. 
Thanos teleports to Titan, where, after a brief conversation with Strange, meant to distract him, everybody starts attacking him in hand-to-hand combat, using a combination of surprise attacks and magic and Nebula flying a whole damn spaceship into him. They got everything! They are throwing everything they have at him. And teamwork makes the dream work, it seems. Because they they actually start to wrangle him in, and they have they have Mantis on top of him trying to make him sleep. They have Tony holding one arm. They have Spidey holding another. They're, they finally got him in a place that seems like, hey, we might be able to do this. I love this because it shows who the useless one is for the most part. <laughs> and the useless one out of this group, and unfortunately for most groups that he's a part of, is Peter Quill, Star-Lord. Because he's the only one not doing anything. Yeah, he just kind of shows up, and he and Nebula are like, where's Gamora? It's the only thing they care about. Well, he shows up, but he has to make sure that everyone's aware that it's his plan. Which I also doubt. I do too. He asks, where's Gamora? And Mantis is the one kind of translating his brainwaves of like, oh, he's sad, he's mourning. What could he possibly be mourning? And this gets Star-Lord going, you didn't. And then, of course, Nebula is going to be like, I'm a robot. Let me spell this out robot ways. He went to Vormir with Gamora and came back with a soul stone without Gamora. And this is the part that should make you furious. I suppose. What do you mean you suppose? I guess. Every time I watch it, I get more and more angry. It fits the character, yes. But I do think that this is a bit of a stretch because Peter is set up as a man-child. We get that. He's very quick to react. He's very quick to follow his emotions more than his logic. Yes. He's a little pirate boy. But here you have Tony telling him, don't do anything. Don't react. Just stay where you are. We nearly have this glove off of Thanos. Don't do anything. To which Star-Lord starts bashing Thanos in the face with his pistol, calling him an asshole. And it breaks Mantis's hold on him. And it frees Thanos as Spider-Man gets the glove off of him. Yeah. A lot of people got mad at Peter for this because they seemingly just could have saved the day here, solved all the problem here. But Peter getting emotional ruined everything. In theory, Peter is responsible for half the universe disappearing. And here's why I'm going to disagree with you. Please, because this is something me and you have talked about but have never really dove into because we're waiting for this episode. I have 14,604,000 reasons why that wouldn't have worked. So you're saying that Strange didn't do anything. I'm saying that- To stop this because he understood that this has to happen. This has to happen. At some point in one of those 14 million futures, they managed to get the gauntlet and it still didn't work. I love that reasoning. It doesn't make Peter any less of an asshole. It just makes Doctor Strange more right. Exactly. No, no, Peter Quill, still an asshole. Don't get me wrong there. <laughs> it just is so infuriating, though, because this is like a hero that I absolutely love. And then he does this, and you're just like, you are the only one who is just thinking of yourself right now. And that's a huge problem. Yeah. Because even Tony has started to think about humanity as a whole. And Tony usually thinks about Tony first, humanity second. And he's finally switched to just a little bit. Yeah. Well, I don't even know that Peter Quill is thinking of himself so much as he's thinking about Gamora. I think Peter Quill needs to sit down with Thor if he needs to understand a little bit about loss and realize that Peter hasn't lost all that much. I mean, it's not a competition, but he did have to kill his dad after his dad killed his mom. Right, but his dad was also a living planet who was trying to kill him. That's true, but then he also had to—he also lost uh, Yondu, which was his daddy. 
That's a good point. Mary Poppins, y'all, R.I.P. <laughs> to say that Star-Lord hasn't had loss is, I mean, obviously not on the scale that Thor has. He lost, Thor lost a lot. Thor lost <laughs> everything. He even got yeah, broken Thor's up Thor's also with been around Jane. for like 1,440 more years. That's true. Than Star- I don't know. I, I have so many issues with this Star-Lord character now, and I understand this choice is fitting, but it doesn't mean I have to like the character. Anymore. I'm hoping that it somehow gets addressed in Guardians 3. It has to. If it doesn't, it's a missed opportunity. Absolutely. It's also something that James Gunn probably wouldn't brush over because he doesn't leave a lot of those ends loose That's for the most true. part. That's true. In fact, I did mention that he had only had one edit to this script, and I missed it when we talked about it. But in the scene where Thanos is is holding Gamora and he has to kill her, in the original script, he just can't bring himself to do it. And James Gunn was like, no, make him pull the trigger and make Thanos make it not do anything. Kill your darlings. Yeah. That is screenwriting 101. James Gunn was like, you have to make him actually pull the trigger. Way to make a really, really good emotional moment. I'm sure it'll get addressed in Guardians 3. Of course. Fuck Peter Quill. (laughs) Yeah, long story short, Thanos wakes up, takes the gauntlet back, and throws a moon at the team. It's not what you want. As far as things on my list to do today, getting a moon thrown at me is low. If you thought brick with a hand grenade was escalating a situation quickly... (laughs) I have to imagine that throwing a moon at people blows that out of the water. It's up there for sure. So we head back to Wakanda. Things are going much better now that Thor's here, but when a giant saw blade conglomerate appears in the battlefield, just like five, six, seven saw blades that are huge, Wanda's like, oh, I should probably get involved, and she leaves Vision's side to join the battle finally. I have a bit of an issue with these saw blades. Oh? They're awesome, first of all. Yeah. They're visually very cool. Very they neat. clearly do the job very well, but they do the job really well when they're actually together. When they separate, I feel like they're a little bit easier to dodge. It seems like when it's just one saw blade, pretty easy to miss. And they do, often. I like that Okoye is like, why the hell has Wanda not been on the battlefield this entire time? And she's right. She is right, but at the same time, very wrong, as we're about to learn. Yeah, that's true, because... Proxima Midnight sends a message to Corvus Glaive, who isn't dead after all, that Vision is now unprotected. And that's a huge problem, because I appreciate Wanda being there to protect Vision and kind of keep an eye on their biggest commodity they have. Absolutely. With the mindset with protect Vision. Protect the stone. But the second that Wanda's gone and now she's fighting on the battlefield, it's like, yeah, this is a big problem now. All of Vision's a wide open. So Corvus Glaive attacks him. They fight, they end up in the woods, and other heroes converge on Vision's location to make sure he's protected. Starts with Bruce Banner. He shows up, takes on Cull Obsidian, launching him into the dome with one of the hands from the armor, taking out Cull Obsidian. So now we're down another Black Order member. We did it. We got another one down. Meanwhile, Okoye, Widow, and Wanda are fighting Proxima Midnight in a ditch somewhere. It's a badass ditch fight. It's an awesome ditch fight because Proxima Midnight comes up to Wanda and she's like, you're going to die alone. And Black Widow's like, she's not alone. And then the three of these girls take on Proxima Midnight, and it's badass. And I love that it's Okoye there, too. I think that is just so much respect for that character. Absolutely. And I love that. Okoye is such a cool character because, yeah, she's a complete badass in Black Panther, but I feel like she easily could have been brushed over here as well, of kind of still being just Dora Milaje, just... Black Panther's guard, for the most part, still right. in the background, but no. More Wakandan soldiers, but no, they were like- Marvel front thrust and her front and center here. She is one of the gals now. 
Absolutely. And that is really, really important. And that's even going to come back in Endgame again. Yeah, it is. And in a I bigger, badder way. Believe they have announced an Okoye spinoff for Disney Plus, too. So, which is very, very cool. This is the right way to do it. Yes, develop these these characters and then give them a place to shine. I think that you could do a lot with just about any one of these characters. And frankly, I would love to see like an Ebony Maw comic. There's clearly like a backstory there of how this guy is subservient to these greater rulers. How long has oh, he been yeah. with Thanos? What dirty deeds has he done for Thanos? What redeeming qualities does he have? Does he have right. any? I want to hear all this. It's intriguing. And I love the way that he taunts Strange. He's like, oh, you have some fun parlor tricks. And we know that he was serving with Thanos when Thanos found Gamora. So, like, he's been around a while. He's been there for a little while. I have to imagine he's been there a hell of a lot longer than even that. Yeah. Because he's still like the loudspeaker monologuer, even when they had when he found Gamora. Right. So, this guy, he's got some backstory. I'd love to hear it. There's so many characters with such great backstory. I'm glad that the MCU takes the time to put some characters that you would think would be in the background. They move them up to the front, make them front and center, make them an actual focal point, tell their stories too. Yeah. Even if it's not as expanded, still, they're characters, and I like that. Exactly. Wanda ends up taking Proxima Midnight and just red magicking her up into the air as one of those saw blades passes by, and it just destroys Proxima Midnight into a big old splatter of blue blood and i love natasha's reaction of that was gross it was gross but now we're down <laughs> it's such another a perfect reaction though another black order member down and you get to keep the kind of snarky sassy black widow character there of like yeah, yeah we did it but also gross they did a really good job of sneaking <laughs> in those little moments here and there it's hard to especially when you have a cast this big yeah to really capture personalities and i think they did a good job all around I agree. Mostly because this is like characters on steroids for the most part of you have to squeeze it in when you can. Oh, yeah, because most of these characters have less than five minutes of screen time. It's unbelievable how they made this all work. Yeah. We'll get there. Not done yet. We'll get there. Let's keep moving. <laughs> We're getting to the thing. Exactly. Cap goes over to guard Vision because Vision's just out in the woods again. Corvus Glaive is still there attacking him. Cap shows up, fights Corvus Glaive, and while he has him distracted... Vision comes up behind him with a spear and does the whole trick from the beginning of the movie that Corvus Glaive did to Vision, just stabs him through the chest. I love how it's just a simple reversal. That's it. There's a, a Vision that we've seen in this movie. Hey. <laughs> and you just reverse it. And that's it. It's good enough. It right. does the trick. Hey, this spear ought to do the trick. So now the entire Black Order are defeated. Let's see what's happening on Titan. Thanos isn't fucking around anymore. Oh, that just suggests that Thanos is just naturally fucking around all the time anyway. Honestly, seeing what he does in this scene, he might have been fucking around for a lot of the movie. That's actually very fair. And I've seen online a lot of people call this thing like the fellowship of the Infinity Stones for the most part. Because it is just Thanos going around collecting the stones. Yeah, it's a smash and grab heist movie starring Thanos. That's exactly what the Russo brothers wanted it to be, though. Yeah. They wanted it to be have like this heist feel to it. And I think they did a good job with it. I think so, too. But yeah, Thanos is not fucking around anymore. I mean, he is just full strength, tearing into the Guardians and Stark. Strange, though, is managing to keep him occupied with a lot of really awesome-looking magic. But it doesn't last very long. No, but in the end, it, it comes down to Thanos versus Tony, which is very much in the favor of Thanos. It is, but this is the Tony that I have been waiting for. The entire time. Because Tony is in his Iron Man suit. Yes. Thanos is 
beating the piss out of him, and the suit is breaking. Yeah, it's got the nanotechnology, so it keeps regenerating, but there's only so many nanobots. He's losing pieces of the armor as he's fighting. And eventually, he's got nearly nothing left, and he just keeps going. He and keeps that, going. to me, is what I've been waiting for out of this character. The character who puts the cause above everything else. He understands, I got to keep fighting. Right. I can almost do this all day. <laughs> I was going to say, it's very cap of him. But I love this so much because even Thanos tells me, it's like, I respect you. Like, right. you're putting up a great fight. I'm going to have to kill you, but I just want to let you know. You did good, kid. Hey, you did good. All this for a drop of blood, right? Oh, God, it's such a great line. I love how Thanos has, like, the tiniest little cut on his face. Yes. It's like, oh. But this is the Tony Stark that we've all been waiting for. This is the one we deserve. And I feel like this is the Tony Stark that, in the future, when events occur in Endgame, this is the Tony Stark people are thinking of. Not so much the Iron Man, Iron Man 2, Iron Man 3, Tony Stark. I agree. This is the Tony Stark. Because even the Tony Stark that we see in the first three Iron Man movies is entirely different than the Tony Stark that we see in Civil War. Yeah, the progression makes sense, but it is a pretty drastic change. Yes. And here, I feel like you just 180 over the 180, you make it a 360 and he's a hero again. (laughs) And that's this Tony Stark, and God damn it, do I love this Iron Man. He's the best of the Iron Men. He did the full 360, and here he is. Hero. Absolutely. And you know that takes a lot for me to say I like an Iron Man. I know it does. I'm going to go throw up. You say what happens next. (laughs) All right. Thanos is obviously much stronger than Stark. And Stark is just about out of armor. When it looks like Thanos is finally going to kill Stark, he has a piece of his armor in the shape of a dagger. He's got it turned on Stark. He stabs him through the stomach. It looks like it's pretty much curtains for Tony here. Doctor Strange in the background goes, uh, excuse me, uh, please stop. I would like to exchange the time stone for Tony's life, please. And Thanos is like, wait, for real? That's the right reaction. And I love it because being on board with Doctor Strange, you're like, oh shit, he saw this. This is the way it has to go down. Yep. Oh boy. It's like as soon as he stabbed Tony, Strange was like, oh, looks like it's my turn. <laughs> Strange is like standing up on the side. Stab him. You gotta stab him. I need you to stab him. It's that one. Stab him. Stab yes! Him. All right, that's my cue. <laughs> uh, Mr. Purple Monster Man, I believe I have a green stone you want? It would be so good if uh, at one point Dr. Strange is like, all right, I'm within that one still. Line? <laughs> what did I say <laughs> to make this all work? Hold on. I bookmarked the, the future. I got to just go into this <laughs> trance real quick. Ah, Dr. Strange, I'm very glad you're not a dog ear and that you are a bookmark. (laughs) I hope that what I'm about to do does not affect you. This is a big moment, too, because Strange had said, if it comes down to protecting the stone or you or the boy, I'm choosing the stone. And here he is giving it up for Tony. And I think even Tony understands, like, shit. Yeah, like, oh, damn it. This is, uh, this isn't looking good for any of us right now. Tony realizes we're in the one. I think, at least. We're in this this moment that Doctor Strange foresaw. So Thanos takes the stone, teleports out of there, and Tony's like, what the hell was that? And Doctor Strange tells him, we're in the endgame now. And just as Helen was the face that launched a thousand ships to Troy, (laughs) this is the line that launched a thousand trolls to the internet to speculate on a title for the next one. It's not something that's been said in the MCU before. Okay, 
Oh, okay. Marvel Studios lies. <laughs> we'll get there. <laughs> Not kidding when I say that. <laughs> Thanos arrives in Wakanda looking for the Mind Stone. One by one, the heroes attack him to no avail because, you know, he's got five Infinity Stones. He's doing pretty good right now. At this point, he's just kind of squeezing his fist and power stoning everybody and away. Everybody's just like flying out of his way. Wanda, knowing what this means, says her goodbyes to Vision and starts just destroying the Mind Stone implanted in his forehead with a beam of red light. Well, that's because Vision says she has to do it now. It's you time to, to do, do it. it. This is something that could have been done in so much farther into the past. Oh, yeah, it could have happened. Before putting all these lives in danger, but a no, no, no. Time ago. She's got to feel him. She's got to feel him, and, and, you know, Cap says we don't trade lives, even though one of the lives is a robot, and the other lives are the entire universe. <laughs> exactly, but now we definitely need to trade lives. Well, now it's time to trade lives. We've, everything that Cap said, bullshit. Trade those lives. Go. We've tried everything. Let's try trading lives. <laughs> Oh, God, if that were on, like, TLC or HGTV. <laughs> Would it be like the trolley problem? Which is like, it's like a mind experiment where you have two different trolley tracks and somebody's going to die on each one. You have to choose which one it is. That's not really what I was thinking. I know that problem that you're saying. But what I'm more thinking is that, like, two people switch lives and then whoever does better in the other person's lives, the other person dies. Because oh. you actually have to trade lives. Yeah, it's like, like you trade your life, like your life, your lifestyle, and at the end, it's like no, 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 nope, trading lives, just like Wandavision and what Cap said, don't do. It's like trading. So someone's got to go. Meet the end. Extreme elimination challenge with Galadish. Because <laughs> yes, please, all over. Yes, please. How do we get legal clearance to make this show? I don't know, but also, how the hell was Galadish not involved in Squid Game? That's a great question. Missed opportunities all around, and this is why you can't have the fucking suits coming up with all these ideas. <laughs> they ruin everything. <laughs> Give us trading lives. With Gadadish. So yeah, Wanda starts zapping Vision in the head so we can stop Thanos from getting the Mind Stone. And I like how she's like zapping him in the head, and then Thanos is getting closer and closer, and then she's like, oh, that's right, I have two hands. So she, she starts, starts double zapping him. second hand in Yeah. There. But then he gets even closer, and she's like, I got to use the second hand now to stop him from getting closer. Oh, it's so good. It's one of those, like, I could have just two-handed his stupid head right from the get-go, but yeah. nope. Nope. Had to kill him slowly, I think. It's okay. He just feels her. I guess so. He looks like he's in a lot of pain, actually. He's not doing great. She succeeds in blowing up the, the Mind Stone, and he just falls over, because, you know, it kept him alive. <laughs> That's right. And I like how Thanos doesn't really react all that much to it, which no, he's is a just huge like, problem. Oh, child. We've all lost a lot today, haven't we? She's like, you have no idea. He's like, you have no idea. <laughs> so like Thanos is done, every time he gets a new stone, he's got to try it out. He's got to show it off. Let the audience know. Hey, this is what this does. And now he's got a time stone that he hasn't used yet, and we just saw Vision eat it. So Thanos is going to use the time stone, and he's just going to bring Vision back to life right there. I like how he brings it back far enough, and I like how Wanda notices, no, 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 no. Yeah, like, oh, this is this is the worst thing that could happen, because now you got to kill Vision again. She had to kill Vision, which is horribly traumatic absolutely heartbreaking vision comes back 
to life, and now she has to watch him die all over again at the hands of the thing that you were trying to stop. Exactly. And it won't he won't just feel her when he does it. This is absolutely brutal. Gut-wrenching. And I'm like putting myself back in that theater seat when I saw this thing on opening night. Exactly. I was like, like all those they did thoughts they saved the day. and emotions are coming back like slowly. Every single time I watch this, just because of how surreal this experience was sitting in a theater watching Absolutely. it. Absolutely. This is one of those shared experiences where you are with people who have followed this story for 18 movies in 10 years. Yeah. And you just got to this point where you recognize- Hold on a second. Oh, shit. He's going to do it. He's going to do it. This whole time, because the Marvel Cinematic Universe has a track record up to this point of the heroes find a way. And this whole time we're like, all right, how are they going to pull it out? How are they going to do it? They still got time. They still have time. We know it's a two and a half hour movie. And honestly, at this point in the theater, I have no idea how much time has passed. I never will have an idea of how much time has passed. No clue. Vision's back alive. Thanos goes up to him and just pries that just stone right out of his forehead crumples his whole forehead ripping the stone out and then just throws vision away all willy-nilly yep and he turns gray he loses all his color and everybody's like oh maybe that'll be a thing in the future and then it will be which you know if you listen to our wandavision episodes that's right (laughs) but thanos has all the stones thanos has all the stones and that leads me to my second imdb trivia fact does it have to do with pokemon and gotta catch them all no, it doesn't. It's a much more obscure connection. <laughs> really? <laughs> Somehow? The reason I picked this IMDb trivia fact out is because it connects to another movie we've talked about. And in a million years, you'll never guess which one. Punisher, Dolph Lundgren. That's an excellent guess. Oh, my God. No. This is an actual IMDb trivia fact. This film has a similar plot element to Galaxis from 1995. Both films are about powerful crystals that are created at the beginning of time, and the villains in both movies seek to possess the crystals and use them to wipe out life in the universe, and they both go to Earth to find the crystals. Bridget Nielsen, whom played the film's main protagonist in Galaxis, had played Red Sonja in oh Red Sonja 1985, God. which was based on fantasy stories by Robert E. Howard. Marvel Comics adapted Robert E. Howard's Red Sonja stories into comic books. That's insane, and no, I did not see that coming. Fucking IMDb, man. (laughs) I thought I would throw out the most random one that had no shot, and then it turns out there was a more random one. Yeah, even farther out of left field. Wow. All right. Good for them for connecting dots that no one asked to be connected. (laughs) Ever. Nobody's like, hey, tell me how to get from Red Sonja to... Infinity War. That's a lot like if you went camping with your uncle who's been single for way too long in his life and you're like a kid and you're going camping and you're staring up at the stars and you're like, oh man, there's Orion's belt, the hunter, and there's the crab. This is amazing. And the uncle just starts connecting weird dots all over and he's like, yeah, and there's your whore mother in high school <laughs> on the back of El Camino. <laughs> like that's the type of dot connecting yeah. you're doing. Yeah. Drunk uncle in the woods dot connecting. <laughs> Why does my uncle hate my mom so much? I don't know. It could be because she's happy. (laughs) Uh, That would do it. So Thanos has all the stones. Yeah, feeling real bleak. Just a little bit. (laughs) Out of nowhere, here comes Thor with Stormbreaker. And we're like, all right, this movie's not over yet. And that axe comes through Thanos' beam of all six Infinity Stones and just lands right in his chest. And Thor comes in and he pushes it deeper. He's like, I told you. 
that you would die for that. I love that moment so much, too, because Thor is just like, I got you. I said I get you. Yes, I'm the best. And Thanos is in pain, and you see it, and you're like, oh, good. The Avengers are actually going to win the day. Yeah, we lost a few along the way, but whew, I was starting to get worried. And then Thanos says to Thor, you should have aimed for the head. And I love how the camera stays on Thanos because he says you should have aimed for the head. And the camera just pans the littlest Slightest bit, bit yeah. to the right. And Thanos snaps. He raises the gauntlet and snaps his fingers. And the world just goes all white. Everything goes white. We get transported to within the soul stone where Thanos comes face to face with baby Gamora. And she's like, did you do it? He's like, yeah. She asks him, what did it cost? And he said, everything. everything. Oh, powerful. Powerful stuff. It is powerful stuff. But he's also a supervillain who has a point. He's just taking it to the most extreme because Thanos' whole motivation behind everything that he's done is that there's just too many mouths to feed. Right. He's doing whatever kind a service here by eliminating half the population. He thinks whatever's left will live in paradise. Right. And I understand where his head's at when you put it that way. Sure. But it is to such an extreme. Oh, yeah. You're wiping out half the universe. That's insane. It's not even genocide at that point. Like, what actually is it? I don't know. I don't know. But but he's done it. He has done it. And I love how after the snap happens, Thor right away is looking at Thanos and says, what did you do? What did you do? And then Thanos, with his arm and the gauntlet all burnt up, just teleports away. And there's no music. None at all. And as the audience, you know what's just been done, but you do not understand what it actually means yet. And I think that is one of the more brilliant master strokes that Marvel has ever pulled off. Yes. Because I believe the first one that we see go is Bucky. It is. And Bucky's line is, Steve. And right away, your heartstrings are getting just ripped out of your chest. Just like if you grab the weird hole in a guitar and just held on all six strings and just pulled as hard as you could, that guitar is going to be completely fucked for life. Yeah. I feel like I'm a little fucked for life just knowing that this happens, that this exists. You have Captain America walking through these woods and he turns around when Bucky says his name and you just see Bucky fall in ashes and shit gets real. And then you see T'Challa walking up to Okoye trying to give her a hand up saying this is no place to die. Right. And then he's dusted. On the spot. And Okoye looks up. reaction is. Confused as all hell. Ugh. And then you have Rocket approaching Groot, who is just turning to dust in the wind. And he says, I am Groot, which James Gunn has confirmed. He's saying, Dad. That's insanity to me. Wow. (laughs) And then as his character is still standing in the woods, Wanda gets dusted. Sam gets dusted. You have your characters that you have now grown with. Just gone. Yeah. And then we move to Titan. And I have to imagine the confusion on Titan is just times infinity at this point, Ah. no pun intended, because- Because they don't have the context. Star-Lord says, did we lose? And I like how the general consensus is, yeah, Yeah. we lost. Yeah, we we definitely lost. And And I like how like the perspective for the audience now is, there is no winning right now. Like this, this is happening. This is happening. This is something that needs to be accepted. Sit down. Here it goes. Like, hold on, because it's going to get bumpy. Mantis is the first to feel it. She's like, something's happening, and then she is gone. Drax says, "Quill," and then Drax is gone. And then Star Lord, Star Lord's t- 
typical. He's like, ah, oh, shit. And then he's gone. And then you have Doctor Strange. Yeah. And this is really where it starts to, I don't know, it's the story tries to pick up just a little a bit little again. Bit. It tries to give you that little <laughs> slight glimmer of hope because Strange promises Stark that this was the only way. And I love that because it is telling the audience, this is still in the one. We right. are in the end game now. This is the correct trajectory. The correctory. This had to happen. Exactly. And then Doctor Strange is gone. Uh-huh. And then... The big one. The big one. Peter Parker. Spider-fucking-man. He starts saying, I don't feel so good, Mr. Stark. And that, a lot of people have issues with, is how long it took him to go. Yeah. But the kid's got spider sense. We saw it earlier. Exactly. And I think that's important to note. He recognizes, oh, shit. Something like, doesn't feel really right. wrong. Yeah. He tells Mr. Stark he's not ready to go. I don't want to go. And then he just gets dusted right in Tony's arms. Ooh. Still. It's so hard. It does every time. And that just leaves Tony and Nebula on Titan. On Titan. And I don't even know that they have a spaceship to get out, but. I don't know either. All I know is in the trailer of Endgame, we find out they had a spaceship to get out. Exactly. They, they used the Benatar because Nebula crashed whatever ship she used to get there, and so did Tony. Exactly. But then back on Earth, you get to see kind of the new gang that's going to have to solve whatever problem it may be. The new gang looks a lot like the old gang. It's Rocket, Cap, Thor, Hulk, and Black Widow, and Rhodey. And Okoye. And Okoye. So it's not fun what's going on here, and it's still like hurts. I'm not kidding when I say that, when right, I, I like, say it hurts. Like it's These are characters that you have followed in a story, and you understand, yeah, this is fictitious. Right. But when you land an emotional moment, this well. I don't even think Sully could have landed on the Hudson <laughs> this well. <laughs> because it is an investment that you put into these movies. Absolutely. Realistically, when you sign up for one, you might sign up for two. If you sign up for two, you've definitely signed up for three. If you signed up for three, you are in right. the rest of the way with all these new characters getting introduced. These are characters that you have now grown with for a decade. A decade. And they are just killing them off willy-nilly right now. And you realize that you've been sitting in this theater now for over two hours. Yeah. These characters are not coming back. This really happened. This is the end of the movie, and this is what we have left. So we cut to, one last time, Thanos, sitting in a lush green planet, just watching the sunset, smiling a little bit, knowing that he has achieved his ultimate goal. And then we hit the credits. Then we hit the credits. And there's no mid-credit. Which blew my mind watching this back again, because I always swore that the post-credit was a mid-credit, and it is not. It's not. And I just think that that is such a magic trick that Marvel especially has started to pull off, because they understand the movie's not over till the movie's over. Right. And the credits are a part of that movie. As someone who's listed in a few credits himself, <laughs> I'll tell you that they're just as important sometimes how you have the people who put in the labor to make all these things that you love. Yeah. But- Marvel has now made an art out of dragging these things out just a little bit. Where you get that mid-credit, those are great. Yeah. They push along the story they did that much farther. They did do something here that was still impactful. Is They showed each character's name alone on the screen of the main cast, the top right. build. And then they had the title of the movie, Avengers Infinity War. And then the right. title of the movie got dusted, too. It sure did. But at the end of this... You have to sit in that theater at this point. Put yourself there. Opening night, April 27th, 2018 again. Ugh. How you're trying to come to terms with losing 
a lot of your heroes. Yeah. Knowing that there's a post credit because there like, always will be. Just give me some kind of glimmer of hope. That's all I want. But they make you sit through like nine minutes of it's so credits much. on this one. <laughs> they really make you sit there with your emotions for a while. And the glimmer of hope that we get is in the form of Samuel L. Motherfucking Jackson. God damn it is. And Colby fucking Smolders. Because at the end of this thing, they're sitting there, they're driving through the streets of New York, and something's clearly gone wrong. <laughs> yeah, there's chaos. There's driverless cars crashing. There's a helicopter that comes crashing into a skyscraper, the big explosion. They're like, what the hell is this? And the bigger problem is, is that Maria Hill, Colby Smulders, she gets dusted, to which Nick Fury then starts running back to his car, realizing something serious is happening right now. He gets out his beeper. Hits whatever <laughs> buttons and he says, "Ah, oh, mother!" And he's gone. He, he gets almost, dusted. Nick Fury's dusted. That first Disney fuck. He almost got it. If he can't get it, no one deserves it. I agree. And on that beeper that's laying there on the pavement, we zoom in. And it just says, "Sending, sending." Dot, 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 dot. And I remember just holding my breath. Yeah. And then the Captain Marvel logo pops up, and you realize. Oh, shit. <laughs> there is a little bit of hope. Okay, okay. We, st- we still have somebody. At least it wasn't like the Hawkeye logo. That's true. That would have been not great to see. Like, oh, no, this is this is Fury's last <laughs> defense against Thanos. We're screwed. He had no one else to call except the guy who wasn't in this movie at all. <laughs> it's just, just sending out Ant-Man and, and Hawkeye to clean it up. But nope, it's Captain Marvel. It is. So we set up the future, and I think that is such a good way to go out. Absolutely. Because that is Avengers Infinity War from 2018, directed by the Russo brothers. Written by Marcus and McFeely. Also important to note, I am legitimately fighting back a lump in my throat talking about this right now. I had to take a couple moments in there. A lot of people don't like this movie, and that blew my mind. That's insane to me. Looking at a lot of critical reviews, looking at letterbox reviews, looking at Amazon reviews, a lot of people don't care for this. And I understand why. It's because they feel like this is half a movie in a lot of ways. Okay. And in some ways it is, because this was originally Avengers Infinity War Part 1, and then they changed it to just Infinity War. Right. And then they left the sequel title as a secret. Right. But this movie's a masterpiece. Absolutely. I, this is our generation's empire. Without a doubt it is, and I think it even takes what Empire did to an entirely new level, because what Empire did, it only had one movie before it to rely on. Right. Yeah, it was the biggest box office hit of all time, (laughs) and then you had one of the biggest twists in film history in Empire, and it's just such a downer ending if you want to bring Clerks into it. (laughs) that's Yeah. You don't have a lot of movies that have these downer endings. But what Avengers Infinity War does, it gives you the ultimate downer ending while still setting up the future. Right. Because at this point, you've eliminated a lot of people that you've now come up with. That you've watched these stories. You're dealing with the loss of them. And you understand a movie's coming out in 13 months after this. <laughs> the longest 13 months of my life. It was. I remember the Super Bowl that year when they put out the trailer for it. And... You see certain like gaps in people walking and stuff yeah. from what they're showing, and the speculation just went crazy. Was absolutely insane. Because the question was, how do you bring them back? It was never a question of these guys are gone. Right. It was how do you bring them back? And I think that right there is one of the most brilliant comic book touches 
that you could put into cinema. Yeah. Because with comic books, famously, nobody stays dead. Nobody stays dead in comics. And the best way that it was put was in this, how when Thor is describing Loki dying, he's like, ah, he's died before. He says, (laughs) this time I think it's stuck. But even that is a weird way to put it. It is a weird way to put it. Because even he's like, yeah, it might have stuck. I don't know. It's still Loki. He's probably going to come back. He's pretty wily. He finds a way. He's Jeff Goldblum told me himself when I was over there on, on that other planet that Loki uh, finds a way. I just think that this is one of the, I'm not even going to call it just in the, the realm of the MCU. I'm calling it in film history, and I'm putting that on there as somebody who has studied film history extensively, is the purpose of film is to tell a story and it is to elicit Elicit emotions. emotions. I've told you a thousand times that Alfred Hitchcock used to look at filmmaking as playing a piano, where if he pushed a certain key, it would elicit a certain emotion. That's what he was going for as he was making his movies. Yes. What this movie did is it relied on 10 years worth of storytelling in order to get that emotion of almost hopelessness. Yeah. It's a good trick and if you can pull it off. It is a good trick if you pull it off, but it had a lot under it in order to help it pull Absolutely. it off. Absolutely. The feeling that you get from this movie, it might be anger, it might be sadness, it might be hopelessness, it might be hope. Right. It all relies on what came before, and it shows just how brilliantly put together the Marvel Cinematic Universe is, and just the absolute genius that is Kevin Feige for being able to wrangle all these stories and put all these characters together. This is something special. I don't care what you think about this movie. (laughs) And I'm telling you that as somebody who says that this is his favorite MCU movie. Yeah. This is a triumph. I couldn't have said any of that better myself. These movies don't come around all the time because there isn't a foundation underneath a lot of movies that are able to get that feeling out of you at the end of this thing. Yeah. This is something that even if you don't like it, you need to appreciate it. Right. And that's the reason it made $2 billion. This movie did cost $321 million to make, and that's estimated. They don't know for the most part. (laughs) Right. I will tell you that Chris Evans and Chris Hemsworth got $15 million a piece on this thing. That's wild. This movie did break the $2 billion mark. At the time, only three other movies had done it. And those movies would have been Avatar and Titanic? Yep. The other one was The Force Awakens. Which also checks out. But that just shows you, and I'm not saying that box office numbers are something that you need to really cement your thoughts with. It's just how many people went to see it. Exactly. But the thing that Marvel has done up until this point was you bought a ticket, and you never bought a ticket for just one movie. Basically, what the MCU is, is just a cinematic pull list. Yeah, it is. It's um, it's a very long TV show. Long episodes spread out a lot. That's exactly what it is. Is They never sold just one ticket. Because if you get sucked in with any one of these stories beforehand, you're going to see the rest of the stories. You want to see There's how all this is going to There's a whole universe to build out. out. Exactly. It's genius, man. Brilliant. And not even that it's genius. It's that it's executed beautifully and brilliantly. Feige finds a way. Feige finds a way. And I always love that he has a bigger vision a bigger plan and i'm happy that we don't know it most of the time and i'm sad that so many people speculate about it and when they're wrong they get upset about that nothing drives me more insane than people that get mad when they were wrong about what they thought was going to happen subverting expectations gets a bit of a negative viewpoint 
Right, which doesn't make sense. It never will make sense to me. Just because <laughs> something subverts expectation doesn't mean it's bad or good. It just means it's unexpected, and that's okay. Right. Why would you want to be sitting there when you know every single beat that's going to happen? Exactly. Like, if come next month, a pair of Spider-Men don't show up in No Way Home, I'm not going to be upset about it. I'm just be like, hey, a lot of people were wrong about that. That's kind of funny. It is kind of funny because a lot of people are leaning heavily into that one. And I actually can't wait to get there one day when we talk about that. Someday in the future. But let me ask you this. Rotten Tomatoes, 1 to 100 for Avengers Infinity War. It better be at least a 99. It's not. Because it's an 85. Why is it so low? And that's out of 485 reviews. Wow. Audience scores 91%. I actually had trouble picking out positive reviews on this thing. That's surprising. Because a lot of the fresh ones were more mixed. That's sad. So the first one I have is Chicago Reader, Ben Sachs. He says, with so many characters to cover, directors Anthony and Joe Russo have no time to develop any of them, and the action set pieces are all by the numbers. To which I tell Ben Sachs, there's 18 movies in 10 years before, you dumb shit fuck. Yeah, Why don't you go watch those where the characters are getting developed and now they're all coming together, dillweed? Hey, none of these guys have developed character on these other characters that have been in 18 movies. That's being purposefully opaque. <laughs> I think that's the right way to put it. Time Out Magazine, Joshua Rothkamp. He said, Marvel's Avengers Infinity War, an overstuffed sausage of summer entertainment, is the Ocean's 13 of spandexed heroism. If you can imagine a version of that movie with two times as many Brad Pitts and no poker dealers. I think they got more excited about Ocean's 13 than finishing their metaphor. I don't know. <laughs> I think they did too. I don't know what I'm supposed to take from that other than like, yeah, there were a lot of characters in it. Also, I love overstuffed sausage. I feel like those first two, Chicago Reader, Time Out, fine. I feel like those are just two guys who are trying to make a name for themselves. Yeah. And realize that this is a, a very popular movie. Right. And they need to be against the grain hey let me have a hot take on this so people click on my site i think that's exactly what it was they made sure they noted hot take probably (laughs) incoming the daily telegraph uk tim roby says the exorbitant action scenes hit all the necessary crowd-pleasing buttons at regular intervals but for a movie with infinite potential it's possible to feel they banked on a rather narrow algorithm And I pulled that one because I thought that was really, really interesting, the way that he put a rather narrow algorithm. That is interesting. That algorithm being superheroes usually win. Right. This time they don't. We have 18 movies of them winning to set a precedent that when they don't, it hits home. And it hit home really, really hard. But I also like how he says necessary crowd-pleasing buttons because that is exactly what's in this movie. Oh, 100%. <laughs> and they are at regular intervals to keep you interested. So good on you, Tim Roby, Daily Telegraph. I think you're starting to get it. I think we're starting <laughs> to get into that spot a little bit. Because New York Post, Sarah Stewart says, all the past decades Marvel movies have been heading toward this showdown. Turns out the payoff was worth the wait. Hell yeah, it was. And Wall Street Journal's Joe Morgenstern, he says... What's on screen now, however, is table setting for events to come. A groaning board of superheroes, a superabundance of undifferentiated superpowers, and an ending that's more exciting than anything that precedes it. Some people will call all of that on the nose. It depends on what he means by everything that preceded it. Did he mean the movies or 
or this film itself? I think he's looking at this film itself because this movie does build up to that ending where you have a lot of these different sanctions within it. Team Earth and Wakanda and yeah. then Team Large Dwarf fighting <laughs> together here. It really is about the ending when it comes down to it and the dynamics That's pushing true. towards that ending. Yes, which is he's not wrong in that it's just a table setting for events to come. So, yeah, no, you're right. That that kind of nails he it. He gets it. Yeah. Completely gets it in my mind. On Amazon.com, this movie has 50,500 reviews. Is that all? That's all. It's got a 4.7 out of 5, 84% are 5 star, 11% are 4 star, wow. and only 1% are 1 star. I only pulled one. Okay. One will do it. And the reason I pulled it, I'm going to read it. I think you'll realize pretty quickly why I pulled it. And it's because we talk about trolls often. Yeah. From January 13th, 2019, title, Spoiler. Spoiler. Oh, boy. It's a good start. He asks, why do I watch superhero movies? And I'm going to leave it there for a second. Okay. I wonder why. Just let that hang there. Yeah. Why do I? He says, to see them win. I went to see this at the cinema last year. I sat there a couple hours plus watching them get their asses kicked, knowing that in the end the heroes would win. When they lost, I was pissed. So, some time passed and we're getting close to the release of Captain Marvel at Endgame. I decided to rent Infinity War and watch it again. And wow, it's still hard to watch. More so than I thought it would be. Just me, I guess. But I think it's so depressing. Also, the writers failed on some basic logic, in my opinion. For example, Thanos has Thor by the head and it looks like he could just crush him. But later, Thor takes the power of the Neutron Star and survives. I know it's fiction, but it should at least follow some simple logic. Now, where do you want to dive in first on that one, bud? Because I watched you squirm that entire reading. I, I don't like this person. Um, just going <laughs> to put that out there immediately. Let's just start with, why do I watch superhero movies? To watch them win. Yeah, that's a, a pretty good jumping off point. That's why we all love our heroes, is because they save the day. Exactly. But a hero's got nothing to save unless he fails a few times over, or else there are no stakes. There exactly. are no dramatic beats That's why to any of their stories. The second movie in any superhero trilogy is them losing their powers. It always will happen. It's like <laughs> clockwork. But I thought that this one review summed up so much of what me and you are against <laughs> that Man. I had to read it here. It's just depressing. And, oh, wow. It elicited emotions, not the ones you wanted. Sorry. Sorry. I mean, it did its job, though. It did its job in spades. And you just can't appreciate that. And that's unfortunate for you. Right. I know it's fiction, but it should at least follow some simple logic. People can fly. Logic's out the door, bud. Exactly. We even mentioned how much of a problem we have with that specific scene in the, the throwing of the, the escape pod and everything. But at the end of the day, it's fucking fun to watch, man. Yeah. Exactly. That's all this stuff is. It's fun to watch. Things can be perfect and still have flaws. Things could be shit and still be enjoyable. Yeah. And hey, maybe. Simple as that. Maybe Thanos is stronger than a, a neutron star. Ever think of that? <laughs> I don't think he had. <laughs> let's move off of that troll and let's get right into <laughs> Letterboxd. You. Hold on. Um, I mean, I meant to ask. No Ebert review on this one? Brian, that's just cruel. Uh, I don't know. I'm, I guess I'm feeling a little dark today. I left out Ebert being dead 
and not being able to review it because we've experienced enough bleakness for one episode. But yeah, Brian, if you want me to say it, Ebert didn't see this movie because he got stuck in traffic and didn't want to go after opening night because too many people were spoiling it on Facebook. There it is. <laughs> Let's dive into Letterboxd. Let's do some Letterboxd. <laughs> the first one I have is from April 27th, 2018. And in the end, it turns out the Marvel Cinematic Universe was just the story of Tony Stark trying to figure out faster and faster ways of getting dressed. A noble goal, <laughs> to be fair. But still. It's true. That's his best arc. It really is. Is how fast he gets dressed every movie. It's it's even faster. It's so much faster that he has that nanotech. doesn't need to carry on the briefcase anymore. Oh, man. From April 28th, 2018, Peter Parker would have a bomb-ass letterbox account. I believe it. Yeah. Kid has all of the old movie references. I love how Tony Stark even acknowledges, yeah, the kid's seen way too many movies, and that's how we solved this problem. I love that Tony calls him out for pop culture references, but he's also the one going around calling people reindeer games and Shakespeare in the Park and Point Break and Legolas and <laughs> Manchurian Candidate and Squidward. Like, nobody drops more pop culture references than Tony Stark. Maybe he feels threatened. Maybe he sees a bit of the kid in him. Who knows? That's likely. From April 29th, 2018, boo-boo-boo-boo-boo, heads up, celebrity alert, Griffin Newman. He wrote in, and he just quoted The Incredibles for this movie. He said, everyone's special, Dash, to which Dash replies, which is another way of saying no one is. Oh. He also gave this movie one and a half stars, so take that for what it's worth. But also, he's not wrong. There was a disparity in this movie between characters that are very powerful like like Thor, and characters like Black Widow just having the same day out on this battlefield. Which is a problem. I'll give you that. Yeah. But at the same time, maybe the more powerful people should step up just a little more often because it seems like the normies are doing a hell of a lot of work. It sure did. From April 25th, 2018, whatever you think is going to happen, think about 10 times worse and you're still not even close. I honestly didn't know Marvel could be so fucking ruthless. <laughs> I didn't know either until this came out. You learned the hard way. From April 26, 2018, Marvel, colon, wants us to believe everyone is gone. Also Marvel, colon, Spider-Man sequel confirmed! Smiley face, smiley face, smiley face. <laughs> that is, they 100% do that. That's exactly what Marvel does. They are now the king of spoilers when it comes down to it. They are their own worst spoiler people. Captain Spoiler Micah, you better watch your back, bud. Marvel's coming for you. Captain Spoiler, I wouldn't even be surprised if it became an actual comic book at this point. <laughs> That's true. From April 10th, 2019, happy birthday me. Just a snappy little movie with a variety of well-balanced elements. I see what they did there. It's very clever. And the last one I have is from April 27th, 2018. Chris Evans and or Chris Hemsworth Please puncture this pussy. I've never been more <laughs> horny than when long-haired, bearded Chris Evans and short-haired Chris Hemsworth existed within the same space. The sixth Infinity Stone is the pure thirst power I exhibited in the cinema for two and a half hours. Wow. That's amazing. And that's why I love you, Letterbox. Letterbox. That's on release day. Yeah, it is. That is and immediate snap reaction. That's immediate snatch reaction. hey And on that note, Let's give this thing a super stuff score. Let's do it. 
Starting off with story and motivation. This is a movie about Thanos trying to get all the Infinity Stones and a bunch of other people trying to stop him. Yes, that is absolutely what it's about. We've obviously been building up to this, but once we start this thing, he only has the one stone. He's got to get all the stones. Right. Got to get them all. Half everything. Got to catch them all. I think that this story is phenomenal. It's so good. And we have a clear motivation. For Thanos. Well, that's the whole thing is that it needs to be for Thanos because this is Avengers Infinity War, but it's a Thanos movie. I mean, just look at screen time. Thanos has the most screen time. He has 29 minutes of screen time in the movie. Next after him is Gamora with 19 minutes and 30 seconds. And you don't get to Tony Stark until the third on the list. And he only has 18 minutes of screen time. So realistically, Thanos is the lead character. Of this movie. By 11 minutes, at least. I'm going to go with an easy one. It's a one. Which brings us to our second category of hero. And this one's a bit tricky, because usually we say they saved the day, and they did not. They they didn't. They failed miserably at saving the day. I want to go with a .25 at a minimum for Doctor Strange, because he had to play out what he saw. That's right. They didn't win the day, but they're on track. But they are on track. They're on the right path. Let's go 0.5. Okay. Because I like this movie. I'm going to I'm gonna agree with you. <laughs> and I like this movie, so it's a 0.5. Villains. Two. Two. If you don't know why, rewatch the movie. No, no pushback at all there? Nothing? Zero. Zero okay, pushback. Okay, three then. Fuck. <laughs> three. Yeah. It's a Thanos movie. You didn't push back. I thought you were going to push back on two, and I was going to argue for higher, like I usually do. I was never going to push back on a two for Thanos. Are you kidding me? Thanos is an unbelievable movie villain, and he wins. And he wins. He really can't get better than that in a villain in a movie. The universe is threatened, and he eliminates half of all life in that universe. This is the biggest win that's ever happened for a villain. Absolutely. So, yeah, the unprecedented three. I am in agreement. Teamwork. Now, this one's a bit tricky because sometimes it's great and sometimes it is terrible. It depends what team you're looking at, though, I think, when you break it all down. Because there are a lot of different teams. Yes. And then sometimes the teams are coming together and meshing pretty well, and sometimes they're still being buttheads. Other times they're buttheads. Uh Stephen McFeely was asked a question about this movie, about accommodating the large cast. And he said, not every scene can be 25 people in a room. You're going to have to make kickball teams and then have a tournament. That's a great way to put it. And also, it kind of goes back to what a lot of comic book writers will do, and especially with the Guardians, and especially with the Avengers, where you have these ever-fluctuating teams of, let me throw a different character in there and see how the dynamic changes. Right. And then play with it that way. Well, even in this movie, when they had... People from different groups meeting for the first time. They had a name for it. They were calling it Strange Alchemy. I love that so much. It's brilliant. And yet, it didn't always play out the way you expected it to. I want to go high, but there's one character that kind of ruins it for for going high. Is it Star-Lord? Of course it's Star-Lord. I kind of want to go with a one and just, I don't want to ignore Star-Lord. But he is the worst part about but everything. You kind of want to ignore Star-Lord? <laughs> a little bit. I like. I want to go with a 1-5, but I know that's just not rational. No, especially because they don't even win. They do not win at all. So, mostly they work together well as a team, especially when you consider they're coming from opposite places from Civil War. 
I mean, you don't get Tony and Cap together because that's the major confrontation they're they're holding on to. But the teams all do end up working together pretty well, except for Star-Lord. He's kind of a loner, isn't he? Let's go one and acknowledge it could have gone higher. One. And you could probably make an argument that Star-Lord could have brought it lower, but we're going to give it a one. That's a very fair argument. Female characters. They're all amazing. They're, They're so good. On another level of being good. Gamora. Just in this movie, is so good. I'm going to go with a 1-5. I think I'm okay with that. I wish that they did a little bit more with the Wakanda girls, for the most part, with Okoye, with Wanda, with Natasha. Yeah. And they got their scene, but it felt like they were getting their scene just to get their scene. I would argue that it felt more organic than the one we're going to get in Endgame, and we'll get there. Oh, it's so much more organic. I'll give you that. But we're not there we're yet. Not there. Um, we're playing with what we we're got. Playing with what we got. Uh, Gamora sells this movie. Nat is awesome as always. They acknowledge that Shuri is more intelligent than Bruce Banner. I think a one five is warranted here. Perfect setting everywhere. We're all over the place, but we always know where we are. We always know where you are. That's an easy one. It is an easy one. From Edinburgh to Wakanda to Titan to the one I can't say right on the first try. <laughs> That's right. Valir something good enough one for setting style and tone it's a lot of mixing of styles and tones and that's the reason why this works because yeah the guardians are so far out of the realm of the rest of the mcu but they're still able to tie it all together to make it work i know i'm only using them as like the extreme example of it but if you can make the extreme example work then you've made it work everything else just falls into place at that point let's go with a one so easy easy one for style and tone music I'm going to start at one for Alan fucking Silvestri. Alan fucking Silvestri. There are, I mean, we've had this Avengers motif, this theme for a couple movies now. It shows up in Avengers. I don't think they used it for Ultron. I can't remember. But this is where it finally cements itself as this is the Avengers theme song. And it works so damn well when they use it in the Cap scene, the Thor scene. This is the movie that made that song start to give me chills. I completely agree with you, and this is going to be one of the rare times where I argue that the lack of music is just as important. Absolutely. Because the entire dusting scene is silent, and it is noticeably silent. Yes. I'm going to go with a two because the musical choices in this thing are fantastic. They are spot on. Even just having that that piano at the end during the credits, man, it all works. It all works. Better than it should, actually. One-liners. I mean, this movie's loaded. This movie's chock full of things like perfectly balanced, as all things should be. Get this man a shield. All of that for a drop of blood. What did it cost you? Everything. Everything. Let's just one and move on. One and move on, because I could quote this movie all day. And that's going to, wow, that's going to bring us to our final category, impact on the genre. There's been nothing bigger to this point. It's, I mean unprecedented this movie is the alley oop to the biggest film of all time yeah the biggest film of all time doesn't happen without a perfect setup and this is the perfect setup and it's absolutely the perfect setup i know i already dropped it the unprecedented yeah and i'm gonna do it again because if any movie deserves the impact on the genre it's this and it's a three that is insane and a hundred percent accurate 
And I imagine that this movie just broke something. We just pulled a, basically we pulled a not so super stuff score. Okay. Uh, A Patreon level movie. This rivals the scores of lots of our Patreon movies at this point. Uh, Final score for Avengers Infinity War. Out of 10. Out of 10 is 15. Yeah, that's about right, I'd say. (laughs) Not a bit low. That is, yeah. It's our new high. Ghostbusters is still 17, so. Yeah, that one barely counts. But yeah, it barely counts. In genre, this is by far our highest. And it's deserved because this thing is a phenomenal movie. It is a masterpiece. Absolutely. Masterpiece is how I've always described it. And it is personally my favorite MCU movie. As is mine. And we finally did it. We did it. Happy 150. Well, Brian, I guess next question is, what are we talking about next week? Next week was originally supposed to be a pick from Roger Ebert. The ghost of. The ghost of. uh, You know, he takes his bony finger and he points to a name on our ebert list which is available at katepodcasters.com but we did something a little different because of the money we raised for extra life last month we set a couple stretch goals for our patrons and they hit two of them they absolutely did and for that we are allowing our patrons to choose the next two ebert movies for this month and next month so what did our lovely lovely patrons choose for this month There were a lot of good movies selected from the nominees, and the vote actually ended in a tie between Time Cop from 1994, starring Van Damme, of all people. And they also chose, because they're such lovely, lovely people, they're our favorites, Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring. So, because our patrons took over the show for these two picks, we are going to be doing Time Cop here in November, and next month, in December, we will be talking about Lord of the Rings, the Fellowship of the Ring. I can't wait. I could not be more proud of our patrons. If I could adopt you all, I would. You're all evil. You all belong in the Legion (laughs) of Skulls. Except for those of you who voted for Time Cup. You guys are great. Coming in close third was Terminator, and, and fourth was Blade, so... There were some really good options in there. There were, and the ones that weren't chosen, they're just going to go back on the Ebert list. His bony finger might pick him another month. Exactly. But this month and next week, we're going to be talking about Time Cop. Until then, thank you for listening. Be sure to rate, review, subscribe. Join us on Patreon this month for Smokey and the Bandit. Email us your questions and comments at gmail.com. Go check out the new merch that just dropped on our website today. That's right. We just dropped new merch a couple weeks ago. We just did it again today. Boom! Your merch. Damn. Follow us on social media at Kate Podcasters on all of the things. On Facebook, we always put up a recording post the day we record and we say, hey, you got any questions and comments for Infinity War? You should send them our way right now. And so many people did. Yay. And I'm going to start off with the not wed bed beheads because there are plenty. <laughs> oh dear, I bet. The first question we have is from Captain Spoiler himself, Micah. He says, You've got the gauntlet and all the snapping powers, but it's a one shot. What do you do with your chance, and why is it to wipe out all gingers? There's only one that gives us a problem. We'll get there. And it's a lot. You don't need a gauntlet to take him out. You don't. We've already found a way out of that one, making him a scroll. I would snap for more snaps. Oh, that's where you're going to go. <laughs> I understand. You don't have to half something. I get that. But snapping for more snaps is a pretty good way to go about it. Loopholes, man. That's it. And you know what? 
it seems like the easy way out of that one. I would probably do that too. <laughs> he didn't put any limitations on it. Phil Hawkins said, vague what if spoilers below, which good on you, Phil, oh, for pointing out spoilers below. Alert. I like That's it. the adult thing to do. He asks, what are your thoughts on power creep in the MCU? There was 10 years of buildup to establish Thanos as a universal threat, but some of the more recently released content on Disney Plus has made Thanos very inconsequential to the potential dangers that lurk in the multiverse. Looking back, does that cheapen the impact Thanos has on the MCU? Is Marvel Studios heading toward a trap where the next villain or threat always has to be more powerful and menacing than the previous antagonist? That's an interesting question. It is. And also, I think that, no, it doesn't cheapen it at all. No, I agree. Especially when you start talking multiversal, because Thanos is still extremely powerful within our universe, within the MCU. Anything that happens outside of that is, is I'm not going to say inconsequential to what happens in the MCU, because I'm sure at some point it's all going to come to a head. But even just the emotional impact of these movies still holds, despite what they've done since then. And that includes... Loki spoiler alerts, nerfing the Infinity Stones and things like that. I think that's all right. And I think you're still going to get powerful street-level villains that are a threat. I don't think that they've, they've pigeonholed themselves into a place where they have to keep getting stronger and stronger. I think they will on one end, but I think they're still you're still going to have other threats. I think you're right, and I'm going to take it even one step farther, where I'm going to say that everything that happened is not inconsequential. I think it is just another part of the story. And I say that because there's a book out right now called All of the Marvels by Douglas Wolk, where he read all 27,000 plus Marvel superhero comics. That's absolutely insane. And as he calls it, live to tell the tale. And what he does is he takes you on a tour of all these big moments that happen within Marvel's history and putting things into perspective character-wise and arc-wise and event-wise. And my reasoning for saying that nothing that has come after Thanos is diminished is that We've been here before. We've been here so many times before within 27,000 comic book issues of villains getting so powerful. Where do you go from here? Right. And the fact that there are 27,000 plus Marvel issues out there shows that there's always another way out. There's always another villain. It doesn't have to be all about power or about being cunning or having this extreme intellect or anything like that. There are different ways of telling stories. The spoiler that you're probably dropping is from Loki, where you see the Infinity Stones used as paperweights. Yes. And I thought that was a brilliant touch. And yeah, it was used to diminish what Thanos did. Were they proper paperweights, or were they just a prop of maybe fanboys who really enjoyed that timeline or something like that, and they get to play with it? It doesn't mean they're the real Infinity Stones. It doesn't mean that they're just toys or anything like that. We don't know what they were. But the fact is, is that this story has now been going on since the 1960s, and it's still going on today, and it's going to keep going on. Yeah, yeah. There's no lack of source material to pull from. They've gotten out of issues like power creep before in the comics, and I'm not worried about it in the movies. I'm not at all. The story's going to keep going. It's been where it's been. We've seen these unbelievably powerful figures. Hell, the actual Infinity War and Infinity Gauntlet happened 30 years ago, and we're still going. And there are still more and more threats out there that are bigger and badder than even that. I'm not worried. Well said. Great question, Phil. Phil, that was fantastic. Now something less fantastic. <laughs> oh, no. The ginger skull himself, Dave Novak. 
<sighs> he asks, how does this movie stack up against Empire Strikes Back? Both are movies that end on a cliffhanger with the bad guy winning and the good guys in disarray. I've heard some arguments that Infinity War feels like an incomplete movie due to its ending, but I haven't necessarily heard that same complaint levied against Empire. Thoughts? That's true that you don't often hear it said about Empire. It's true, but I think it's because of the time that we live in, where Empire, everybody knew there was another movie coming after it. They knew that there was going to be a resolution to everything that happened at the end of Empire Strikes Back. Everybody knew that there was going to be another movie coming after Avengers Infinity War. Right. But we live in such a time right now of this instant gratification that people just aren't fulfilled if something doesn't happen now. Absolutely. If you've waited for it isn't happening this second, then it's a problem. People don't want to wait for the next thing another year from now. I think that's why you don't really hear too much about it. Yeah, I totally agree with that. It's it's probably more a generational thing than it is a storytelling thing. I think, how does this hold up to Empire? I think it holds up exactly the same, tell you the truth. Yeah. Both movies are big time downers. They both set up an epic conclusion to the saga that they're telling. Right. Don't dig too deep into that in the Star Wars side. I understand what I said. <laughs> but yeah, they're very similar. Yeah. I mean, I, I just like I said earlier, it's our generation's empire. Vincent Masafra, he asks, if you could change one character that got snapped with one that didn't, who would it be? This might be selfish, but I would love to have more Chadwick Boseman screen time. So I probably would have kept him and gotten rid of... I don't know anybody else. <laughs> like, like <laughs> don't general even trade don't even keep Tony Stark. Just bring in Chadwick Boseman instead. Like, I don't know. Just would have been cool to have more T'Challa. I think that's very very fair. With mine, it's a little bit different because there's an old joke that if you have a gun and it has two bullets, and you have Osama bin Laden, Adolf Hitler, <laughs> and in this situation, Peter Quill in the same room. <laughs> I'm giving both snaps to Peter Quill at this point, just to make sure. Just just to be sure he's Just he's to make gone. sure he's getting put down because he deserves it so badly in this. So I'm not so much changing a character out as I am ensuring that even his dust gets dusted. It would have been fun, actually, if he survived the snap and then just took on the wrath of everybody <laughs> for, five, the reckoning. for five years. Just everybody like, oh, that's the guy that he's the reason that all of our loved ones are gone. Oh, yeah. that would have actually been Perfect. Are you ready to get into some fuck Mary kills? Yeah, we might as well wed bed the head some stuff. Fantastic. Vincent Misafra, he's going to lead it off again, tying his last question. He asks, Scarlet Witch, Black Widow, Okoye. So you're in that ditch with him right now. Dave, you might as well kill all three because they're not going to let me anywhere near them. <laughs> I don't think we're killing all three. I think they're just killing you. They're combining forces to end you. That makes more sense. Because, no, you're not getting anywhere near it's any of them. not a chance. Derek Ives asks, Marvel Director's Edition, Favreau, Gunn, the Russo brothers, which is weird because they're <laughs> acting as one unit at that point. <laughs> this is easy. This is very easy. You got to kill Favreau, obviously. Obviously. You got to marry James Gunn, and you got to get that sweet three-way on with the Russos. And here's the thing is I'm going to switch those last two because – James Gunn was married to Jenna Fisher, and it didn't work out, so I don't trust James Gunn in marriage. Yeah, I'm, I'll just take half his money then. That's also fair. But I'm marrying those Russos, and me and James Gunn, we're going to have a good old time. Polygamist, I see. Okay. <laughs> and the last one we have, it's from Donnie, and he's in his element here. Oh. He's got a Chris edition. Fuck, Mary kill. Of course. Of Pratt, Hemsworth, Evans. And then, of course, Kyle from the Experience Grind podcast chimed in he said i trade them all for pine so you know what 
have a freaky fourth. Pine's in there too now. Oh dear. So now you gotta fuck, marry, kill, cuck. Go ahead. All right. I don't much care for Chris Pine personally. I don't either. <laughs> so I it's think perfect. I'm gonna kill Chris Pine. Gone. He's gone. Completely dead. Now I'm gonna marry Chris Evans. As you should. Every day, all day. I'm going to get it on with Hemsworth, and I'm going to make Pratt watch just so he knows he fucked up. That's very, very fair. Also, right answer. <laughs> Whew. So good job. Tried. <laughs> Everybody, thank you for your questions. Thank you for your wed bed beheads. Thank you for hanging around with us for so long. 150, 150 episodes. numbered episodes. That's, that's something. There's not been a Monday that's gone by in 150 weeks where you have not had a fresh episode in your ears. At least. And you know what? We'll keep it going. It's our promise to you. As long as you promise to keep listening, we'll keep making There's it. There's no reason to slow down now. We've got a whole Ebert list that's longer than the amount of episodes we've already recorded. So It's absolutely true. Guys, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. You're all the best, except for the one, and you know who you are. <laughs> we appreciate all of you, except the one. And uh, we're not even halfway done, so... Stay tuned. Brian, you got anything else? That is it for me. Fantastic. We'll see you next week for Time Cop. Same pod time? Same pod? Why is Gamora? <laughs>